The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 232 for Thursday, June 12, 2014. Our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your message on air, as always, make sure to specify that when you leave your message. All right, so... For those of you just tuning in, My Take Radio is a variety show covering the latest and greatest from mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, video games, and entertainment. You can listen via the call-in number if you choose, just don't hit option one. If you want to watch our video feed, you can watch it on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. You can also get the high-quality audio via our Mixler feed, mixlr.com forward slash My Take Radio. Otherwise, you're going to have to make do with the blog talk radio feed that is currently in progress. My Take Radio broadcasts from 11 p.m. Eastern till 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the blog talk radio feed does go off air at 2 a.m. Eastern, but you can continue watching live on GFQ and listening on the Mixler feed as well. So we got a lot to discuss. Figured I'd, I'd start opening the show more and more with introducing what the show's about, et cetera, et cetera, just because it'll allow those that are just tuning in to get better acquainted. So for those of you that have been here before and have been part of the dance from the very beginning, as always, you know the deal. All right, so let's get some housekeeping out of the way. We got lots to cover. Of course, we're going to talk about the Chael Sonnen announcing his retirement. We're going to talk about the great roster purge of 2014 that went down earlier today in the WWE. We got lots to discuss with E3. And, of course, we will be taking your calls. But before we get into that, just want to bring everybody up to speed on some developments going on with MTR behind the scenes. Uh, MTR just no, just joined a brand new service called Swell. Uh, you can get the Swell app for iOS or for Android devices. And, of course, it'll be another way to listen to My Take Radio. Also, we are researching making the official My Take Radio app free instead of the normal 199 that it usually is. There's a little bit of legwork and some expenditures that got to go into it, but it's something we've been researching. So the MTR app 
should be going free. Uh, the goal is before the summer is out, if not sooner. Once I have more information, of course, I will gladly share it with you guys. Also, of course, lots of content on MyTakeRadio.com, including all the latest from E3, including the trailers for the Sony event. Uh, I owe you guys the Microsoft and Nintendo trailers just been super swamped. Of course, myself and the MTR team, as well as our colleagues from Royal Flush Magazine, really stepped it up for live blogging duties dur- during the two days of E3. And of course, we had a really great time with that. Uh, we got a lot on tap this month. Like I said, we got Consumer Electronics Week around the corner, and we will be working that as well. We'll be doing uh, live blogs for that, photos throughout the day, interviews, you name it. Um, for E3, we recorded an MTR in 60 with Danny from Royal Flush Magazine. So make sure to check that out so you can get a, a double dose of E3 coverage. Of course, we'll be talking about that tonight as well. I'm sure Slick is going to be joining us to share his thoughts on E3, and we're going to definitely have a lengthy, lengthy discussion. Uh, a couple of things I noticed, um, there was an interesting thing that Kip was brought to my attention about people sharing a lot of their personal stuff with their podcasts. And it was crazy because this was the subject of discussion on a podcaster's roundtable. And I thought it was an interesting discussion. And I was curious because, you know, I share a lot of like real world stuff with you guys. And I was curious just to see if that detracted from the show or added to the show, etc. cetera. Um, definitely would like uh, to hear your thoughts on it because me personally, I think that it helps me connect better with you guys. Just talking about like the real the real world stuff. And especially because I don't really harp on it too long. I figured it was just something I wanted to get your feedback on. Uh, as always, feel free to share it in the chat room or via social media or email, however you choose. As always, got to thank our Patreon supporters, Javon Lewis. Um, our Patreon is very easy program that allows you to have uh, a hand in helping my take radio grow. Uh, you can do as little as a dollar an episode to five dollars. Uh, we're going to open up some other tiers once we start adding um, other rewards that we can give out. But basically, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And what you do is you can support the show by uh, contributing per on a per episode basis. Like I said, anywhere from a dollar to five dollars. Um, if you do the one dollar tier, you get an on air. Thank you. Much like Javon Lewis. If you do the $5 tier, you will have a Patreon supporter credit on the video credits when the show is over. Figured I'd let you guys know that in case you were interested. As always, we got brand new My Take Radio t-shirts. Make sure to check those out on MyTakeRadio.com. But before we get into this week's show, I actually got a little bit of a monologue for this week. And I wanted to talk a little bit about E3 just because a lot of people, um, a lot of people messaged me about E3 and our coverage and stuff because people were like, hey, did you guys go to E3? You guys have been putting up a lot of stuff and live blogging. We didn't go to E3, number one, because it's not just going to E3. There's flight, airfare. Uh, I mean, there's flight, hotel, all the expenses, etc. And it's just such a very costly endeavor. And we can share the news with you guys from the comfort of our homes here in New York City or what some of our other staff members are around the U.S. But again, not to take anything away from those that went to E3, I just felt that the E3 event itself really broke down into a lot of partying. I saw a lot of partying. I saw a lot of uh, Instagram photos of parties. I saw a lot of stuff. I saw more photos of parties and swag and shit that was handed out 
than coverage of the event. And the problem I have with this is the fact that you're doing all this for, for E3, you're, you're putting up all these Instagram photos, and you're getting all this swag, and then you're not putting up any coverage, and by the time you get home or you get back to your offices, you're going to be cranking out coverage that is a week late. I'd rather be home going through the E3, the E3 process the hard way and trying to get news out as quickly as possible versus just, you know, living the whole, the whole party atmosphere. The E3 Expo, like I said, should be the Everybody Drink, Everybody Party Expo. And this has nothing to do with me being straight edge. This has more to do with the fact that I saw more of that versus more coverage from the games. And the funny thing is, a guy from Polygon, from the website Polygon, put a video up about that. There were more people wanting to take pictures with giant mechs and, you know, uh, pseudo Madden covers than people online to play games. You know, there were everybody that I heard that played games didn't even have to wait online very long. So things like that really, they they kind of got my goat a little bit because I said to myself, you know, we don't go to this shit and there's really no necessity to even stress it because... I could just as easily cover it from home. Everything is live stream. Everything is live blogged, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's really no, there's no necessity for it. Again, if anything, you go to E3 for the experience to get it under your belt and to connect with publishers face to face. Now, before I move on from it, I just want to tell those of you that have your, your, your gaming websites, your gaming blogs, your podcasts, whatever, focus on your content, focus on your content. Stop focusing about pictures with who you met and oh look I met the guy that that did Street Fighter or whatever because guess what that guy will probably forget who you are worry about getting the content so Capcom and other companies can give you the games to review that's all I'm saying it's it's a lot it's a lot easier to talk about this type of stuff in a more productive standpoint than trying to remember what you were supposed to be doing after being shit-faced for three or four days that's all I'm saying just uh, again for those of you that are covering E3, Comic-Con, any of these big events, focus on your content. Stop focusing on getting shit-faced because at the end of the day, it's not doing you any favors. Not only that, but developers are getting to see you shit-faced and carrying on like a complete toolbox, and nobody wants to see that. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, that's going to wrap up my my uh, my opening rant for this week. We got a lot of MMA to discuss. I know that um, Ben had reached out with regards to calling in. So Ben, if you are in the chat, feel free to do so. But until then we can get some MMA out of the way. Let's get that ball rolling. All right, as always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get the latest and greatest gear for your favorite fighters as well as training gear at MMAWarehouse.com. All right, so this past Saturday, we had the UFC Fight Night 42, which was a surprisingly solid event from start to finish. We had some really great stuff. Uh, We had a good performance from Benson Henderson, and we just had a really, really solid night of fights overall. I really felt that certain individuals were really trying to get noticed more so than others. Plus, of course, there was some controversy as well from the Brian Caraway fight and the fish hooking incident that did occur. I'm sure Ben is going to want to get into that a little bit. I also 
want to talk about the controversy with one Jason High, who took on Rafael Dos Anjos, and the result of that uh, particular fight led to Jason High getting cut from the UFC. I'm definitely going to get into that. And, of course, John Moraga, John Dodson, and Ross Pearson and Diego Sanchez, which, of course, is going to be the subject of much discussion as well. But I will say this. Overall, a uh, spectacular card. I see Ben is on the line. I'm going to queue him up and bring him on board. Thanks, Slick, for the assist, as always. Big Ben, what's up? What's up, man? Oh, we got a two-week engagement, man. But this week, again, another another <laughs> crazy week of MMA. So before we get into the fights themselves, what did you think of Fight Night 42? Uh, it was it was uh it wasn't it didn't really surprise me because when I went back and looked at the card, um, I saw there was some pretty good fights on there. Um, it was it was a pretty entertaining card. Uh, well, the main card, the the undercard wasn't that great, but the main card was a very uh pretty good. Yeah, I was I was very surprised. Um, you know the Sergio Pettis fight. He took the fight via unanimous decision. It was a pre- a pretty paint by numbers fight. It was good, but again, with the amount of credibility that surrounds a guy like Sergio Pettis, they're really not going out of their way to to like he like it's almost like he's got big shoes to fill every time he gets in the cage. Well, I'll say with Sergio Pettis. First of all, I, I don't think Sergio Pettis should have been signed by the UFC yet. Really? I think he needed maybe a maybe another year or two of seasoning. I mean, this is a really young fighter. Uh, doesn't have a whole lot of fights. And even in Alex Caceres' fight, the one that he lost, he was winning most of the fight, but inexperience basically lost him that fight in the third round. So um, I, I think he's kind of being rushed a little bit, and I think the Yasha Meza fight, I was expecting him to knock out Yasha Meza, but he beat him in every way you could beat somebody. Right. Um, the fight wasn't close at all. It was just boring to watch, but it wasn't close at all. Well, it was, that's what it was. It, it was it was a a very one sided fight, and it just really again didn't didn't make this guy want to be on people's radar. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, he's he's Anthony Pettis's brother. Like that's all they seem to book him under instead of letting him build his own legacy. You know? Yeah, I mean, you you gotta slowly build these kind of fighters if you're gonna bring bring them in such this quickly because you don't want to put them. And, and against, like, the top-level bantamweights yet because he's probably not ready for that. So it's, it's a slow build with him. Um, I think, you know, one or two years down the road, he can be challenging for the belt, but it's going to be a little while. Right. So let's talk about this Brian Caraway fight. Caraway takes the fight via uh, submission, rear naked choke in the second round. Did you see the tape on this fight and everybody talking about the fish hooking incident? Where do you stand with that? Because I kind of noticed that even though everybody hates Brian Caraway, I don't think he was doing it intentionally in that fight. I don't think he was necessarily trying to fish hook him. Right. Um, I think he was just trying to reach around and get a hold of his chin to try to pull him into the choke. His hand slipped into his mouth, and he fish hooked him. I don't. I don't think that was uh, on purpose. Um, I think. I think of Brian Caraway, even though I don't like Brian Caraway, he gets a lot of <laughs> at times. I guess unnecessary. Well, this at least this particular time was a bit a bit of unnecessary shit. Um, I mean. I don't think he was trying to fish with the guy. Um, so I, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt on that, like Greg Jackson said. I don't think he was purposely trying to fish with him. Well, that, but, that wasn't even the ending sequence when that happened. So Right, um, and the guy know, moved the away. The guy moved his face away when the fish hook was coming, you know, uh-huh. which was crazy. I was bummed. Yeah, it, was, his, it was accidental. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, everybody. It was accidental. People just make controversy out of anything. I was bummed to see Eve Edwards lose his fight. Um, you know, Piotr Hallman looked really, really solid. Um, he pretty much looked very, mm-hmm. very aggressive all three rounds. I like Eve Edwards. I'm like, man, is he gonna need? Is he gonna get cut again <coughs> for this fight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
I mean, it's unfortunate that Eve um, doesn't have a lightweight title belt sitting on his shelf uh, from back in the day when he um, knocked out um, Josh Thompson. Right. At the time, both him and Josh Thompson were the two best lightweights in the world, and the UFC just didn't have a belt for the lightweights at the time. But, That's uh, right. I mean, Eve is getting older. Um, he's one of the original, you know, lightweights. Um, and he looked good for part of the fight, and it just he, he slowed down. Uh, Peter, Pete, Peter Hallman uh, looked good, just was really aggressive. Uh, he did what he was supposed to do in the fight. Um, it, it does suck that Eve's uh, loss. I hope he doesn't get cut, and if he does, I, I, I hope to see him fight again somewhere. Well, let's let's talk about this Jason High fight. Um, he dropped down a lightweight to fight Rafael dos Anjos. Um, very solid fight. Rafael dos Anjos looked really good taking the TKO. Um, at around three and a half minutes in the second round, gets up, super shocked that he got put to sleep, and he shoves the referee. Where do you stand with that? Because here's the thing, for those of you just tuning in, Jason High shoved the referee post-match, and he got cut by the UFC. He is officially unemployed. Where do you stand with that? Because it's it's a weird it's a weird situation. Because it's like heat of the moment, but then it's like, yo, don't put your hands on a ref. You know, that's that's mandatory. Um, for me, I don't think he should have been cut. Uh, especially since the the um, the, the sports um. Not agency, the sports, uh, the 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 uh, the commission in the state. Somebody know where it was slipping my. The commission in the state basically said they're not going to uh, do anything to him for this. Um, don't think he should get cut. Um, but I mean, I don't. He shouldn't have put his hands on him. But you know, it, it happens. It was a heat of the moment. He he think he had kind of a a valid gripe because the dude was hitting him in the back of the head, and I don't think Jason I ever went completely out. So. Um, I mean, it happens. Um, it's unfortunate that he got cut. Um, I hope to see him somewhere uh, in some other organization because he, he is actually a really good fighter. He is really so, good. I like watching Jason High fight. He's he's very entertaining. And I, it, I, you know what it was? It feels weird because, uh, again, I like to call it the bipolar booking of the UFC because one minute it's all rules, rules, rules. Another minute it's, you know, somebody called a fag on somebody called somebody a fag on Twitter and you don't say anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yes, yeah. no. You know what I mean? It's very, very, I don't want to say arbitrary, but it's very loose. It's like suspensions, everything shouldn't just come from Dana White. You know what I mean? Like, there should be an advisory panel for fighter conduct. It should be, you know, three or three or four guys, you know, a couple of seasoned refs and maybe a seasoned fighter. And they just talk about fighter conduct and, and let it go to a panel of review versus, oh, you know, you shove this ref, you shouldn't do that, fuck you, you're gone. Yeah, I mean, shit happens. I, I, the UFC is uh, really, 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 um, they need a set a, a, a set group of rules. They don't right. have one. It's all of the women, Dana White. Yeah, because it's like if you cut everything them. really open to his interpretation. Yep. Um, so you have situations like this, but then you have situations where, uh, I believe Vandal is still is still fine, but this man literally ran away from drug testing. Right. So I mean, it it, it it's up to Dana White who gets cut and who doesn't. It's, it's well, unfortunate, but that's just how it is. Well, right Mist now. in the chat says he should have got cut because if he shoved the referee and the ref got hurt, he to, he to the moment the ref could have sued the fighter and the organization. Again, totally valid points, which is fine. Again, but I stand by the fact that if you're gonna cut him and you know you're citing Paul Daly as a cut, then Vanderlei should get cut for running from a drug test. You know what I mean? Like it's it shouldn't be. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna debate this and that or what? It's like, yo, you did this, you're done. You know, that's that's how yeah. I see it. It should I mean, be I, I feel arbitrary. Like, I, 
And also, I, I, I mean, I, I get what uh, Miss Miss is saying, but um, that didn't happen. So I mean, you can't suspend him for doing something for what could have happened. That right. that particular um, scenario didn't happen. So I mean, I don't think he should have been cut. I think maybe suspended, reprimanded in some way, fined something, but cut, nah. The way here, here's where I stand. When Dana White called Vander called um, Cyborg Vanderlei an address, he should have fined himself. You know what I mean? Because it's like, again, these are the standards that you're trying to put out there for an organization. Again, same thing like the NFL and the MLB. When you speak poorly about the organization, your ass gets fined. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be the rule. Yeah, you speak poorly to the refs. Yep. You know, you need to have, uh, uh, just like I said, maybe, maybe we need a separate governing body within the UFC where they kind of, they meet as like a, I'm not saying you need a commission, but you need maybe some veteran fighters. You know, you throw Chuck in there, who's a veteran, um, maybe a ref or two and, and one of the Fertitas and they can sit down and go, all right, here's what we got. And the committee, their decision, what it is, is passed on to Dana White, Dana White, you know, this is what the committee said. I'm delivering their verdict. And don't give them overrule powers, but just be like, you know, maybe we might want to go back to the table on this one. That's it. I I just feel that leaving it in the hands of Dana White, there's too many factors. There's too many things at play. Yeah. Plus, I mean, if he likes the guy, if he doesn't like the guy. I mean, there's just way too many variables yep. to, to what Dana White does. and I, I just don't think he should be the one who makes those decisions. He's way too... He has shown that he is way too emotional to make those type of decisions. Right. We need, we need, like I said, you, you got veteran fighters in there, put them to work. You know, you take your Chuck Liddell, you take, you know, well, not Rich Franklin, but you take some of these guys that know the sport <laughs> and you tell them, hey, this guy shoved the ref, let's review. You're going to have some fighters that were like, hey, man, he was in the heat of the moment, whatever. And then you might have a senior referee and maybe you might have a front office guy and the referee may say, all right, let's vote on it. And that's it. You know, vote three to two or two to three. A, he gets suspended and fined or, you know, he get he gets cut. It just would allow it to look more fair. And it would allow fighters to be not only judged by the organization, but judged by their peers, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, it's 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 the UFC. It, it, it's crazy. Dana has autonomy <laughs> to do stuff like that. So, I mean, there's nothing that can be done about it until he decides um, – to quit basically well let's let's talk about john moraga and john dotson the magician was living up to his moniker in every sense of the word what a what a fight that ended with a tko via doctor stoppage after he pretty much turned john moraga's nose into the equivalent of silly putty it was ridiculous Beautiful fight. Yeah, John Dawson looked really, really good in this fight. Uh, he does what he normally does, where he kind of he, he kind of waits around a little bit and then he just explodes with this barrage of punches, knees, and kicks. Um, he is the second best flyweight in the planet. Like I don't give Ali Bagatunov and oh word, I pronounced that name correctly. I don't give him <laughs> very much of a, of a chance uh, against Demetrius Johnson. I, the only person who's even give them, gave Demetrius Johnson any sort of real fight at flyweight is John Dodson, and he almost knocked him out twice. So um, I, I can't wait to see them fight again. But he he looked good. Um, John Moraga is a good flyweight, but I think he, his skills are really limited. He tries to bully guys, and that doesn't, that's not going to work against a higher-class uh, flyweight. He, he's not going to be able to bully a John Dotson, uh, Ian McCall, or um, uh, Demetrius Johnson. He's just not going to be able to do that. 
Yeah, John John Dotson, that fight was just tremendous. Again, the flyweights continue to impress. And not only that, but this is a guy, you know, we talk about guys not getting put to sleep in the lighter divisions. John Dotson is a guy that can put guys to sleep with minimal effort. Yeah, pound for pound, he might be the hardest puncher in the match. Yep. Pound for pound. Like, there might not be anyone who hits as hard as he does. Like, you know, pound for pound. So, I mean, <clears throat> I'm interested to see how he does against Demetrius Johnson because it only takes one. It only takes him touching him one time. That's it. Well, let's let's talk about this Ross Pearson Diego Sanchez fight again. Controversy abounds. Ross Pearson was putting on a very very solid performance, and Diego gets it out of nowhere via split decision. Craziness. <laughs> Craziness isn't even the word. Um, <laughs> Diego Sanchez didn't win a round. Nope. No, the like, fuck he didn't. No rounds. Nope. He the West that gave him a thirty twenty seven. How the hell do you get? He got dropped in, I think, round two. Yep. Twice. Yep. He, in round one, he got run up multiple times. Round three, maybe. Maybe you can say, oh, well, he ran at him and didn't hit him, which Diego Sanchez does all the time now. Yeah. He's but- just running at you, throwing punches, missing entirely, and getting tagged in the face. Yeah, but you know what's funny? He was getting tuned up by Ross Pearson. Dude, when he went to co- go for the kick in the second round and Pearson caught it and swept him. And then it was it was just Pearson yeah. working the jab. I'm like, dude, you just got knocked on your ass, and you've been getting tagged with the jab for the entire fight. It was insane. <laughs> it was insane, dude. And, and I, the- I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand Sway Diego Sanchez on going to be judged because technically, Diego Sanchez technically should be on a one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six fights. His last six fights, he actually lost. <laughs> His last six. <laughs> Because he didn't beat Takanori Gomi, and he damn sure didn't beat Martin Campman, because Martin Campman tuned him up too. Yep. I don't understand. I don't understand the. I don't the dude the the two refs that gave him thirty twenty seven, and I think one of them gave him twenty nine twenty seven. They should or yeah twenty nine twenty seven. They should not be allowed to referee and <laughs> not referee uh judge at all anymore. Yeah, that was like the, the UFC should never bring them back. Dude, when Kenny Florian buried them. Buried the judges on air. I was like, "Well, damn, Kenny Florian, shit!" <laughs> you know, like he was like, "This is bullshit." He was, I, I, he was super tight. I was like, "Oh, that that was that was such a good fight, just destroyed by a piss poor decision." I, 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 I don't. And then you know, Diego saying, "Oh yeah, well, I won." Like being on Twitter talking about he won the fight. Like, no, you didn't. No. Nope. Don't pretend like like I, I hate I hate when fighters know they got like I this is why I respect Rampage. When he fought um Ninja, uh Mauricio um Marilio Ninja who are in Pride. Yep. He knew he lost the fight they had. Hell he yeah. got the ju- he got the judgment and he handed him the trophy. He he knew he lost. Like be a man. You lost. You lost multiple fights in a row. Like it's I don't know, man. I um I'm I was I was really shocked by that um I, and also, I think I don't think Diego is long for this orange chin stuff because he's starting to get hit yep. a lot more than he used to. That's right. And dudes are really starting to ring him up. He's going to run up against somebody, and that's really going to hurt him at some point. Oh, he's going to run. He's in- already got the slurred speech thing going a little bit. <laughs> he's going to so, run into a cinder block fist, and that's going to be the end of that. Talking that shit, you yeah, got to like chill he, with that. And he's already got the slurred speech thing kind of going. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. You know, I ain't. Hurt, I'm not hoping any kind of real damage on the man. I, I'm just honestly, he should have lost his last six fights, right? And probably been out of the UFC, which would probably be good for his health. 
because the way he fights does not constitute very uh, a long career. It, no, it constitutes lots and lots of brain damage. I agree. Super reckless guy goes in there like a oh. lunatic. It's like, dude, come on. No, there's no need for that. Fight smart. You're a young guy, young dude. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, his body young, his mind ain't. Like, nope. That's how <laughs> like it goes. He's on, they going hopefully nothing happens to him because in the end they're going to probably look at this man's brain is going to be like the <laughs> brain of a 90-year-old because he's getting shattered around in the skull. Like, you, can, you can't get hit like that that often. That's why I hate – I mean, I understand people want the blood and guts fighters and stuff and there's right. guys that, can do, that do that, but the guys that really win and are great don't right. get hit a lot. That's right. There's a reason, guys, that don't get hit. Like, I mean, I said this in the last show. There's a reason Floyd Mayweather is the greatest of all time. Well, not greatest of all time. A very great boxer. That's right. Hit. Like, That's John it. Jones don't get hit that much. Nope. Anderson Silva, before he slowed down, didn't get hit that much. No, he didn't. Great not. fighters don't get hit. Dude, nothing. There's no, very few fighters you can call great that get hit. No better example than Forrest Griffin trying to hit Anderson Silva. And Anderson Silva was just dodging, dodging punches. Like counter moves in street in, in in Street Fighter, it was just he was just he was just ducking them with with minimal effort. It was insanity. And that was the difference between a good MMA fighter and an all time great MMA fighter, shown perfectly in that fight. Yep, like that's just what it looks like. So but, let's let's talk Rustam yeah, Kabilov and I hope uh, Diego says he gets better. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the way I see it with Diego, it's like this: if either he's gonna lose terribly and it's gonna expose him, and Dana White's gonna be like, "Dude, you're done," or he's just going to get himself into a predicament where somebody's going to have to put him out there. You know, like somebody's going to have to put him to sleep. Mm-hmm. But um, let's talk I mean, about... when you fight him, you, you probably do got to put him to sleep. Yeah, otherwise you got to kill him. <laughs> you got to kill him, dude. You got to kill him, which is terrible to say. It's like, I'm going to go and fight this guy. And they go, Rich, what's your strategy? Yeah, I'm going to try and submit him. No, it, it's like, I got to go in there and hit this motherfucker with two cinder blocks and maybe shoot him. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want to go down. You know that. Dude, Dude, if he's still breathing, like, you got to pretty much separate him from his consciousness with a real hardcore strike to put him out. And he hasn't yeah. ran into that guy yet. And still might not win the judge's decision. <laughs> the judges will be like, no, 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 that wasn't a knockdown. That was an intentional foul. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. So, Complete bullshit. Uh, it's crazy. So let, let's let's go into this Rustam Kabilov benson Henderson fight. First off, round of applause for Benson-Henderson actually getting a submission in the octagon. You know, no decision. You know, let's get let's give him a, a great round of applause for that. Dude, good fight. Bendo, you know. No close decision. Bendo looked good. He looked good in the fight, but he had to choke the dude out. Everybody was just like, oh, my God, he's asleep. Oh, my God. It's like, really? Like, it took me a while to process the fact that Benson-Henderson hadn't hadn't beat anybody like that in a long fucking time. <laughs> I was like, what the hell happened? I I think the last person he actually finished was um was Donald Cerrone. Yep. That was the last person he finished, Donald Cerrone, I think like seven or eight fights ago. Yep. <laughs> like he 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 don't really be out here trying to knock people I mean finish nobody. Which I is mean, crazy to me. Dang it's more than I think it's like eleven fights ago. I mean he Still never been to Henderson. Um, he's an excellent fighter. Um, can't take that away from him. Uh, nope. I personally think he shouldn't have been champion as long as he was because I kind of think he lost to Frankie Edgar the first time. <laughs> yeah. And and I think he lost to Gilbert Melendez. And I think he lost to John Thompson. Uh, that being said, he's a very, very good fighter. Um, Rustin, Rustin, Kalab- Kabilov. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. <laughs> Kabilov. There we go. <laughs> um, 
Rusin, he didn't look terrible, but he looked really one-dimensional, and yep. his striking didn't look that great. It was a lot of just throwing big haymaker overhand rights. <laughs> um, um, I think uh, Ben Henderson looked really good in, like, his sweeps and stuff. And that, that finishing sequence was really good. That was a really nice, like, lead uppercut. And, like, before they even hit the ground, he was already going for the choke. Um, so, I mean, it showed that when he really wants to, he can put people out. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's be as long as Anthony Pettis has a title, he's not he's not getting another title shot. It, uh, it, 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 unless he goes on a really long win streak or something, they're not giving him another title shot when Anthony Pettis has a title. Um well, well Crotus so he, he's gonna have to beat beat up guys like this for a while. <laughs> Crotus Blay in the in the chat room says last person Bendo finished was his wife. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but but you know what you know what uh, bugs me with that yeah, I know dude. It's just like dudes in the chat is on fire tonight. But I was like all right, he won, but it's true. It's like, look at how many fights Matt Brown chained together, and he still hasn't got a title shot. He's like, Bendo's in the same boat. It's like, dude, you're gonna, you got to chain together a shitload of fights to where, like, MMA math dictates, like, yo, you got to give this guy a shot because it's going to look real fucked up if you don't. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way he gets another shot at Pettis. That's the only way, or Pettis loses. Yep. That's the only way because, I mean, the first fight he got, which was close up until the showtime kid, the second fight wasn't close at all thing was over incredibly quickly so yeah it's, he won't get another fight for a while against uh um title. but he'll be a good you to the stars which he more or less said he wanted to be yeah which is weird but you know he'll be a gatekeeper to the stars for a while so and i don't know i don't know why he would want to be that way because he's a guy that the that the ufc can promote actively you know what I mean? Upstanding guy, class act, has a cool look. His tattoos are marketable. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. The whole toothpick and the and the and the big the big perm the big perm do whatever. But very marketable athlete. You know? Yeah, I mean, he should be. I mean, he's been in a bunch of um, main events. Um, he he is going to be a marketable UFC fight, fighter for a while. He'll right. be on FS cards. I don't know if he'll be on Fox cards anytime soon again, but he'll be on a lot of FX cards. Not FX, uh, five spots, one cards and stuff like that as a main event, which he deserves. He's a former champion. So he'll be around a while. He ain't going nowhere. So let's talk about this next bit of news, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, but it really did come out of nowhere that Invicta FC events are now going to air on UFC Fight Pass. Very, very historic stuff. I mean, you know, it's pretty much like being part of the UFC without all the bells and whistles. But I think I think it's good for the organization. I, I really do see Invicta starting to become a feeder league for the UFC. Yeah, it's good for both organizations. It, it gives the UFC an opportunity to um, have the women fighters that aren't necessarily ready for the UFC a place to fight. Right. Um, and and a, high cl- a higher class of place to fight. Um and it get and it gives Invicta a little bit more um, um, viewing. Um, even though I mean I, I the fight pass has its problems. Um, it's still a better um, still a better format than wherever they were. I think they were on um, Access. They were on, no, dude. They um, were doing i pay per view. Huh? I pay per view. They were doing. Yeah, they were doing i pay per view. I think they did one show on Access, and the rest of them were i pay per view. It's a way better. Um, platform especially than our pay-per-view especially considering the last our pay-per-view didn't work correctly right and a lot of people were able to get it for free and all this other stuff so um yeah so i mean it it, it keeps the company alive it gives them an opportunity to build fighters there and it, it's 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 a good thing uh, and i think and i think the ufc will eventually start doing this with a lot of organizations like i could see them snatching up a lot of the smaller organizations just using them as feeder leagues 
especially on something like Fight Pass, because Fight Pass gives them the opportunity to put these fights on, but not have to put them on any kind of TV channel. Yep, they can and just not throw have these to compete fights up there. Legacy Fighting Championship or something like that, and then once a guy gets good on there, they can bring him up to the big league, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I, I was happy to see it, and you know what the funny thing is? All that shit Dana White talks, and it's like, hey, Cyborg is in essence part of your organization. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. I it, mean, it <laughs> Cyborg yeah. basically fights for you, dude. Even with all the shit you talk, you're airing her fights on your 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 service. <laughs> True. Um, it, it is. I mean, if she can get down to 135, that's the fight to do. That's the money um, fight. Somehow... I still don't believe she can get down to 135, but we'll see. But if she can get down there, I mean, that is that is the fight to do for Ron Riley. That That's that it. fight right there. But um, yes, yeah, she fights for you technically now. So. Yep, she fights for I you mean, technically. You know. with, with zero with zero regret. It's like with zero regret. Shannon Knapp did this deal with you, and Cyborg fights for you as much shit as you talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. And that new new they already had kind of a, a working partnership with the UFC anyway. Right. So I, I kinda had a feeling at some point something like this would happen because I, I didn't see this I pay per view format lasting that long because it's not really a viable way to make money. Nope. Um because I mean it's hard making money on big fox or not big fox, but big um on pay per views in general. And to have it like that, to have um to have an I pay per view it, and where, you know, you have X amount of no, number of people to do it. You know, if too many people come on to crash the server, it's so many problems with that. You just throw it on the fight pass. They pay one fee and bam, you you get me cut to the fee. Yep. It's, it's craziness. I, um, I, you know, a couple of fights came together. I wanted to kind of run by you, uh, Lorenz Larkin facing your boy, right. Derek Brunson, UFC 176, August 2nd, great card. Chad Mendes, Jose Aldo, also on that, you know, that's the main event for Bricio Camoz and Gray Maynard. I'm looking forward to this fight because Derek Brunson is always a guy that is exciting to watch. He's right on the cusp. And I think him and Larkin are going to put on a, a, a show stealer. Yeah, it should, those those should be some good fights. Um, the Larkin fight should be good. I'm looking forward to the Jose Aldo, um, uh, Chad Mendez rematch. Um, I don't think, I mean, I think Jose Aldo will win that, but I don't think it'll be as quick or as no. uh, one-sided. This time they're starting to figure um, Jose Aldo I, I out. I think he'll win, but I don't think. Huh? He, jo I said Jose Aldo's starting to get figured out. Fighters are starting to figure him out. I don't think it's so much he's getting figured out. I think he he. I don't think he's particularly interested in a lot of guys that are making him fight now. And I think <laughs> I have a. I just feel like one, he has to do such a huge weight cut to get to one forty five, which I'm not entirely sure why he doesn't cut to one fifty five. I agree. Or go up to one fifty five already, which this is probably going to be. From what I understand, from everything I've heard, this is probably his last fight at 145. Um, but, um, like, I, I really don't think it's the fact that anybody's trying to figure him out because he's won all those fights, his last few fights, resoundingly. Like, Ricardo Lama's fight was not close at all. Um, true, true, but so, you got to look mean, at it. What I'm saying is, in terms of figuring him out, everybody knows that he's not going to want to fight the guys that aren't going to really yield the best results. Like, he is probably the only guy that I feel is super fight ready. Yeah, you know? like, I think, here's the thing, if, I have a feeling that if Anthony Pettis wins his next fight and Joe Teatro beats Chad Mendes, they're going to do that fight. They have because to. Because I feel like, like Joe Teatro is at the point where he's like, I have been champion for this long. Yep. No one has touched me for a long time. I need to get paid. Yep. And... I'm trying to do grown man. I'm trying to do 
give me money fights. That's right. Um, and Can't blame point, him. I mean, he's either going to move up or he's going to go fight um, Anthony Pettis and not fully move up, just go fight Anthony Pettis. Yep. Because I don't think 145 has anybody that's even going to – I don't see Dustin Poirier. Um, True. Abdelsi Chad Mendez, nope. uh, Cub Swanson, all these other guys. I don't see them giving him any real challenge. No, so sure. I, I think that's his. I think he's going to move up. He's got to move up. And like I said, we've all been wanting some sort of a super fight. The only fight on paper that you can book as a super fight that makes sense is him and Showtime, or if, you know, El Nino beats Showtime and he calls out Jose Aldo for the super fight. Yeah, that's, that's the only fight that makes sense. Like, those super fights, because otherwise, I mean, I, I just don't see, I just don't see any other super fights that make sense right now. Crotus Blay, you want a super fight? Ronda Rousey versus Jose Aldo. Get out of here. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the Jersey card on July sixteenth got some really badass fights too. Donald Cerrone, Jim Miller, of course, is going to be a problem. Uh, so is John Howard and Rick Story, and also they added Jessamine Duke and Leslie Smith to that fight. As well as, get this, strawweight fighters Claudia Gadeja and uh, Tina Ledemaki are both going to be fighting on that card. So even though the, the the ultimate fighter season is going on for the strawweights, it looks like maybe either one of these women are going to be a challenger for that title as soon as it's established. Claudia Gadeja is 11-0 and and Tina Ledemaki is 5-0. and uh, when when does that ultimate fighter even start? I think it's supposed to start in September. I'm thinking. Huh. Well, I mean, I'm 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 looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to Starry Women. You know, you got um Rose Namajunas, uh, Pat Barrett's girlfriend, and yep. Strawways. You got you got some good fighters in Strawways. Carla Espraza. Yep. Um, you got some good fighters. Um, so I'm looking forward to the Strawways coming to the UFC. I mean, I'm 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 for more interesting fights i think the smaller weight classes will yield the best results Absolutely. i think there's a lot of women that would be straw weights if they <clears throat> could if the ufc only didn't have 135 i think there's a lot of women that drop down straw weight I, I think this still kind of dilutes um the uh, the pool of 135ers right but i mean it, it, it's still a process it's still a building process yeah and i think i think there's enough personalities at straw weight to keep the organization interesting you know, because think about it, you know, Felice Herrick, Carlos Barza, Rose Namajunas, Tacia Torres. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of, of, of women that can go on this show and legit get into some beef and make the show engaging. Yeah. You know, that's that's the so, craziness. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I mean, I, I'm, I haven't been a huge fan of the Ultimate Fighter no. uh, for a while. I've watched maybe one episode of this latest season, to be honest with you. You're um, not I'm just alone. for the fight at the end. So, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. It's in a weird situation, but, um, let's switch gears. Let's go to the big story. The money story, uh, Chael Sonnen announcing his retirement from MMA this past week on UFC tonight. And I want to get into that for those of you just tuning in the UFC, uh, the Nevada state athletic commission, the Brazilian athletic commission, uh, discontinued the use of TRT. Now TRT for those that don't know, is testosterone replacement therapy, which is used either by fighters that are suffering from low testosterone or, in some cases, fighters that abused uh, steroids at one point and are trying to level out their testosterone now. Now, what happens is by getting rid of TRT, a lot of fighters, uh, guys like Dan Henderson, Vitor, Chael, all these fighters were affected. Um, in Chael's case, from what's been, from what he said and from what's been discussed, he needed TRT from a medical standpoint because, according to what they were saying, he has one, he has one nut, 
which in which case clearly you need all the help you can get and um you know he's getting he's getting TRT uh Vitor of course we know was suspended for steroids years ago has been on TRT for the last couple of years he's got to come off of it and Chael was randomly tested uh earlier this month obviously before his fight with Vitor and it turns out that his test levels were incredibly high now when Chael released a statement on the Jay Moore show and later on he talked about the fact that his doctor told him that the supplements that he has to take the the testosterone supplements he has to take are necessary if he's no longer going to be on TRT so with that said where do you where do you stand Ben with regards to this because this TRT debate we've been talking about it on and off on and off for quite some time it's been a gift and a curse but in Chael's case he seems to have medical backing every time the debate is addressed what do you think here's the problem um because I kind of feel like Chael would have not had an issue if he just disclosed to the commission, this, this is, this is this, yeah, this, this is a disclosure um, problem. Right. I agree. Uh, cause he probably technically needs these things. Uh, cause the two drugs he took were actually completely legal. Um, they were prescribed by a doctor. Right. Um, and they were to level out his testosterone levels because he's been using TOT, uh, for years. Right. Um, Dan Henderson probably has to take these drugs. Absolutely. Um, the, the whole problem was disclosure. Absolutely. Um, so I don't, in a way, I'm sympathetic towards him because I don't feel like it should be um, a, you know, uh, suspendable offense, especially right. since they're legal. But the commission is well within their right to, to say he can't fight because they, you have to you have to tell them you're taking these things. It's, and he is a repeat offender, and he did last time he was dealing with the commission to flat-out lie right. multiple times. So it, I, I think... Uh, it's unfortunate that it forced him to retire um, because, um, I mean, Chell, while not, you know, not a, a championship-level fighter uh, anymore, is still a fun fighter who can put on some good fights when he's not, you know, going out there to get a paycheck. Right. But, I mean, he's not going anywhere. Nope. He's still going to be around. He's still going to do UFC tonight. But it, it is unfortunate because this could have been simply uh, uh, avoided if he had just disclosed uh, what he was taking. Well, the disclosure, and Dana White's going on record as saying, listen, I'm a big fan of Chael. I've I've talked about it on on air numerous times. Two wrongs don't make a right in this situation. And some of his logic where he's like, "Yeah, but you know, I'm using it. I'm not using it for competition. I'm losing I'm using it off off season, you know. It's like that's not the point. If your doctor says to you, "Hey, you need to take these pills or you need to use this cream or whatever." As soon as you walk in to the commission, it's like, "Here's a list of all the shit I'm taking, just so you know." Yeah, and off season excuse doesn't actually uh, mean anything. No, it doesn't mean shit. Steroids. Like I, I was watching a uh, a boxing documentary, uh, the the boxer Victor Ortiz. He he said that dudes use steroids during training camp, but after fight steroid test is an IQ test. There is no reason you should get caught on that test. It should be cycled completely out your system by the time the fight right. starts. Your the steroids aren't for the fight. It's for preparing for the fight. Right. Um. So him saying, like, I'm using it out of competition, that's when you would be using them anyway. Well, allegedly, so, allegedly um, also it was because, you know, he was trying to have a kid, which, again, all this stuff sounds incredibly plausible on paper, and that's fine, but the disclosure yeah. fucked him. He should have just been like, listen, here's a here's a list of, of, of all the shit I'm on, and that's it. And if they go, chill, you can't be on this shit while you train, and then let it come to that. 
Yeah, I mean, there was an NFL player that actually got suspended. Uh, NFL player Robert Masters recently got suspended for basically the same exact thing. He was taking a fertility drug, which also affected his testosterone. Yep. Because him and his wife were trying to have a kid, but he didn't disclose this. Right. So he got suspended for six games. You have to tell them what you're taking. Yep. It's simple as this is what's in my body. This is what you're going to find when you test me. Uh, that's that's it. Because otherwise, it looks like you're trying to hide something. Because these are also drugs that help benefit you during use of use of steroids. So it's a disclosure thing. Um, and like I said, it's unfortunate that Shell ended up having to retire because of this. Because I think he still had one or two. Yep. Maybe or had another good year of a couple uh, fights in the UFC. Well, a couple a couple of things came out of this too. Number one, Vitor is all like, "Yeah, you know, it sucks, but but you know, I'm okay." And it's like, dude, you put on Instagram that you failed a test on fucking Instagram. Yo, look at my failed test. It's like, Vitor, shut up. Like, don't say a fucking thing for the foreseeable future. Just yo, go pee in this cup. Go give this blood and let shit get evaluated by professionals. Stop saying I took my own tests. And I peed, and everything is okay. Vitor ready to go. It's like, no, Vitor's not ready for shit. If the commission says you're not yeah, ready, you're not ready. Like, yo, shut the fuck up. Shut up. Uh, I have a feeling that Vitor is quite happy um, <laughs> that he, because he doesn't have to go in front of the commission now. Um, well, he it, does, but not yet. Um, so I have a feeling that he's a bit uh, quite happy uh, for that. Uh and I agree with you. Shut the hell up! Like you're you you're basically what got the ball ro- rolling. There you go. Getting TRT out of the sport, dude. Joe it's Rogan threw him under the bus. Like, <laughs> Joe Rogan's like, yo, it's this motherfucker's fault. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's, you're the reason. I mean, you out here head kicking people in the head, doing shit you ain't done in years, and 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 then people bring it up like, oh, don't use TRT as an excuse. Okay, sir. Like Luke Rockhold probably would have knocked your ass out. Fairly easily if you're not super T- TRT Vitor. So right. we'll see what he looks like whenever he does come back to fighting. But I have a feeling it won't be as good as super TRT Vitor, but we'll see. But, um, yeah, I mean, he yeah, – Vitor needs to shut the hell up. Yeah, he needs to chill with that. And then Vanderlei goes on Twitter like, yeah, you talked all that shit and, and now you run away. Now you retire. It's like, motherfucker, you ran out of your fucking – out of your school for the test. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, listen, all, all, all of you guys got different beefs. Clearly, they're not going to get resolved. If you feel so strongly about it, Vanderlei, you call Chael up, you meet in a gym, and you beat the fuck out of each other. You know what I mean? Like, if, you, if you're that tight about it, like, like, listen, if I got a problem with you, and they say, hey, you're, you're gonna, you guys are going to fight in a controlled environment, and the shit falls apart, and it can't happen, and then you tell me, Listen, the, the, the fight in the controlled environment can't happen. If I fucking hate your guts, we're going to fight one way or the other. It's going to be in the supermarket or at a fucking swimming pool or at your uncle's barbecue. Or, but we're fighting. That's it. Because it, the hatred is there. But it's like one minute it's you're running out from, from the fucking test and the other minute you're on Twitter being a keyboard warrior. It's like, yo, if anybody shouldn't be a keyboard warrior, it's fucking Vandalay because he's a lunatic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's sad, dude. I mean, these guys, and, and it's crazy that the guy who comes out looking the best out of all of this is actually the one who's retired. Yep. Because Vandalay has gone full hill. Like, he is gone. <laughs> like, full there's hill. no one who has gone from the one of the most beloved figures in MMA to, like, no one wants to deal with it right now. Yep. Like, no one. Um, 
Like, I, I, I just, I, I don't understand the, it's unfortunate. It, it really is unfortunate. But, I mean, Chell took the name because I, I don't, I think Chell's probably going to get a year suspension or something like that. And yep. By the time he's coming back, he's almost 40, and what's the reason for coming back? You know exactly. I mean? At that so, point, he'll be like, yo, I'm good. He took the way out that made sense. Yeah, yep. he, he took the way out that, look, I ain't going to be flying at 40. Like, it's not happening. Yep. So, I mean, I don't have any problem with what Chell did. He, you know, he, he needed to do that. Uh, as far as Vanderlei and, and Vito, I, I think both of them should stop talking. Yep. Don't just, don't just don't talk. Or here here's here's a, here's a unique twist. Just have your fucking fight. Like Vitor, fight Vanderlei. If it, if if you if you want to fight so badly and you felt that the whole drug test was a misunderstanding, go fight Vitor. That's it. Let let figure you. Neither one of you can fight Chael. Then fuck it. Fight each other. That's it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure what Vanderlei's uh, contract uh, right now is, considering you know he out here sprinting away from from testers and stuff. So yep, I, I don't know. But you know, if if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. I just I don't know. I'm just I just I I can't get behind either one of those two fighters talking nope. shit at this point. Nope, I can't do it. And then you know, in Chael's case, it's like I feel bad again as a fan of the sport. I'm sad to see Chael leave, but it's like. Chael, Chael can do commentary. Chael can do fight analysis. We were joking around on the fan page that Chael can go and get a WWE contract, and and, and WWE would scoop him up in a, in a heartbeat. It's like it's like dude could go and do whatever the fuck he wants. I'd pay to see an announced team of Chael, Jim Ross, and probably Chael and Jim Ross calling a fight would be the most um, uh, calling a wrestling match would be the most amazing thing in the world. Because it's like that, that he's he's a, yeah, he's, um, he's a guy who stays in the spotlight easily. Yeah, I, I think Chell's gonna end up either doing commentary and stuff for just UFC because they take care of him financially. Yep. They take care of him pretty well financially, so he's either gonna end up doing commentary and stuff for the UFC, or he's gonna get into wrestling in some form or fashion. So because yep. there, there, there's easy money. Be fine. It'll be all right, man. I just, I just, I just, like I said, it was so sudden. And then, you know, all these dudes, all these prospective opponents just while running off at the mouth, just, I'm like, all right, you know, everybody's all mad, but, and, and you know, the, uh, Caesar Gracie, he was like, yeah, you know, you know, everybody's sad about Chael, but you guys are fucking forgetting about Nick being on the pay. I'm like, of course, of course, of course it goes back to that. It's like the problem Nick with Nick is, I lo- again, Nick Diaz, huge fan, but it's like, dude, you lost two fights. You can't come back and fight for another belt. It's crazy. It's crazy. Also, he's, he's not underpaid. The reason Nick Diaz has not fought for a long time is because Nick Diaz got paid quite well for the Gibson yep. fight. That's right. Very, very, very well. He's just chilling. That's why he has been able to, for a year and some change, just not do anything. Yep. He got he got cut of that pay-per-view. Like, <laughs> he got paid a lot. So, uh, I don't know if he got paid a million, but he, he probably made really close to that. There you go. So, he was chilling right now. Um, yeah, Nick Diaz is talking about he's underpaid. You ain't making Floyd Mayweather money. Nope. Like, no UFC fighter is making Floyd Mayweather money right now. So, the only dude that made $5 million a fight was GSP. Like, GSP, GSP made $5 million because Rogan kind of let that slip out. Again, But these, I can see that. GSP making $5 million off a fight, no problem. Nick Diaz makes sense. John Jones, I think, makes about two or three. Yeah, like it makes sense. They're the reason people come in to see you. Very, very like, good. I it's... mean, Nick Diaz, uh, he he at least made one or two million off that fight. That's Absolutely. why he's not had had to fight for a while. Yep, dude's chilling. Talking about he's underpaid is stupid. 
Yeah, well, just to bring things home a bit, uh, Josh Berkman, who I said was going to be facing John Fitch, is out of that fight due to an injury. So he is out. John Fitch uh, is getting a new opponent. Also, uh, Matt Hamill was supposed to be debuting on that card, and he is off that card as well. So both both guys fell to the injury bug. Uh, Tiago Alves, though, is coming off injury and is facing Jordan Mean at UFC Fight Night 49. So... You know, two That's guys. A good fight. Tiago Alves looked good in his last fight. Yeah, Tiago Alves, man, Dolce Diet d- doing wonders for the kid. Um, you know, Josh, uh, Josh Berkman, John Fitch, those poor guys. I feel bad for them because they're all they're they're trying to make a name for themselves outside of the UFC. It's like originally it was Shields that was going to take on John Fitch, and then Shields got hurt. Berkman was going to do it. Now Berkman is hurt. It's it's craziness. Yeah, I mean. I don't know, and plus, this, I think this is the card that's supposed to be on uh, on uh, NBC, like right. big NBC. So we'll see how the card eventually uh, uh, finishes, pans out. Um, I think I think World Series of Fighting has done a decent job being a good second tier league. I don't think they have the illusion of grandeur that Bellator does, right? Uh, about being a true competition to the UFC. I, I don't think World Series of Fighting has any desire to actually be competition. They just want to exist, right? Which is the way you should probably go about it, and, and the way the business model should be set up. They just but, want to chill um, and make money. So what? They, I said they just want to chill, make some money. Yeah, like that's that's the way to do it. Don't don't make the UFC pay attention to you. Yep. Like, <laughs> because this that's when that's when you start losing. And and that would, like don't don't tug on Superman's cape. Yep. And um, they they're out here just you know if UFC cut somebody, oh we'll sign them. Yep, that's uh, all we'll, it is. We'll do a deal with NBC and get, get a little bit of popularity that way. So nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm I'm interested to see how the card turns out. They have some good fighters. Marlon Moraes is a really good fighter, really fun fighter to watch. So is Justin Gaethje. So plus, I think they found Melvin Gillard. So they they should be good. Yeah, that'll be all right, man. I, it's just it's just weird. Like you, do, when we talk about promotions outside of the UFC, I, it concerns me that I always got to talk about it because then I got to give people like the crash course because there's so many other promotions out there doing what they got to do. It's you know it's craziness. Um, with with regards to just how MMA is shaping up as a whole for the foreseeable future, I mm-hmm. feel that we got a lot of promising cards on the horizon, but it's going to take a lot more than like that July fifth card was going to be the card. I think for 2014 and then, you know, the, the Chael thing, the Vandalay thing, the Vitor thing, even though that card is still going to be good, it's lost a little bit of its luster. Um, it still should be a really good card. I mean, you still have, um, you know, the, the Machida, uh, Chris Weidman fight. You still have, uh, the Ronda Rousey, um, who's she fighting? Terry, Matt? No, no. Is it Kaufman? Is it Sarah Kaufman? I don't know. Uh, I, I had to look it up, um, but you know, I mean, it, it it should be a good fight. Um, it should be a lot of good fights on that card. I'm looking forward to the card. It's still gonna be a good card. Um, the UFC, they've got to build more stars, so you don't have these lulls where you have a bunch of cards that nobody really cares about. Right. Um, I mean, but I mean, that's how it goes. Um, I mean, there's some good fights coming up in the next couple of weeks. I mean, on the 14th, you have the Johnson fight, and then you got the Cub Swanson fight right after that. There's some good cards coming up, so. Well, there you have it. All right. Well, that's What's going up? to um, that's gonna wrap up the MMA news for this week. Um, did you get to record your your double HND? 
No, we didn't get to record. Uh, I ended up having to be called into work yesterday, so I didn't didn't get to record it. But we, we're going to do a uh, we're going to do an episode soon. We just got to set up a time we're both off work. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, as always, you can find Ben on Twitter at blackout eighty nine. Anything else you want to add? Yep. Nope. So, all right. So we good then. All right, bro. As always, thank you for all your right. MMA insight. As always, I appreciate it very much. No problem, man. All right, brother. Peace. Well, there you have it. Follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout89. All right, so we are going to get into some wrestling. Like I said, we got to talk about Monday Night Raw. We got to talk about roster purges. We got a ton of wrestling news on deck. So without any further ado, Booker T, let's get that ball rolling. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. All right, wrestling this week, as always, is brought to you by WWEshop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, WWESAVE10 to save $10, courtesy of us here at My Take Radio. All right, so let's get into Monday Night Raw for this week. I was going to kind of talk about the wrestling news and the roster purges for this week, but I figured let's get the ball rolling with Monday Night Raw. Of course, the big news is the stripping of the belt. Uh, Daniel Bryan's World World Heavyweight Championship will now be on the line at Money in the Bank. We will crown a new champion. It's funny because when Triple H finished the promo, he was like, yeah, I guarantee there'll be a new champion. At which point I said to myself, you're guaranteeing a new champion? It's kind of fucking obvious that there's going to be a new champion because none of, them are, none of them are Daniel Bryan. So what the hell? But... Nonetheless, the promo served to pretty much set the the precedent for the rest of the night. Um, A couple of things. There were some great matches, some great qualifiers. But it opens up a very, very interesting situation. Because you look at, you know, Daniel Bryan vacating his belt. And while it's highly upsetting as a fan, like I said before, I think in the long term, this is better for Daniel Bryan. Because I do feel that Daniel Bryan was... Not oversaturated, but I just felt that he hit um, he hit the apex for the time being. By taking the belt away from him, you allow Daniel Bryan to chase, and in turn, it just makes the fans fall, you know, fall in love with his persona once again. And this is something that not a lot of people look at because they're too busy complaining about the most obvious. And this is where Jay, Jay Santi has mentioned this numerous times, where the fans sometimes make you hate the profession. In other words, it's like you follow professional wrestling and the fans just, they don't know. Like some people just don't know when to shut off in the sense that, listen, Daniel Bryan's out. Like I shouldn't have to see on Twitter, somebody going, what the fuck you guys fuck Daniel Bryan out of the belt. And it's, it's insanity. It's insanity. Seeing that it's like Daniel Bryan needs to recover. I'm perfectly okay with him being on the sidelines. And like I said before, I'd rather the guy have no title, heal fully, and give us 10 years of great wrestling versus he comes back too early and we only get five years out of him. That's where that's where I feel it's it's most, it, it, as a fan and just as a person that covers this this industry, I figure it's the right thing to do. Everybody talks about 
best for business and Daniel Bryan getting screwed, Vince McMahon is handling Daniel Bryan's booking personally, according to various websites. Daniel Bryan is going to be fine. He is being groomed as the number two face of the company. Even when he comes back fully, you know, full time to wrestle, it is going to be a deafening pop in the arena. The arena is going to fucking explode when Daniel Bryan comes back as an active competitor. So please do yourselves a favor. Stop going out there and, and your message boards, your Instagram, like somebody Instagram, Stephanie McMahon. Here's the funny thing about Instagram. Stephanie McMahon put up a picture on Instagram of somebody that did her makeup, right? And somebody wrote, I can't believe you stripped Daniel Bryan for the belt. You're a terrible human being and a bitch on Instagram. Another person talked about, you know, finishing on Stephanie McMahon's boobs. I'm like, listen, people forget just because you are on the Internet, just because nobody knows who you are. Let's get something straight. People still know who you are. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you're going on Instagram talking about, you know, you, you, you want to you want to squirt on the chick's boobs. Like what is wrong with you? What kind of a human being does that? Lady has like three kids and shit. And then another person, like I said, oh, you're an evil bitch stripping the belt from Daniel Bryan. It just, it blows my mind. And again, part of it is, is obviously just people marking out and being extra aggressive. But the other part of the coin is that, listen, these are, these are careers. These are jobs. This is how it goes. Just deal with it and let the story play out. There, there are so many possibilities with Daniel Bryan not being champion. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe a guy that you're a fan of besides Daniel Bryan may get the opportunity. Unless, of course, you're a fan of JTG or Kurt Hawkins. Then, not so much. But again, solid opener. I was okay with Daniel Bryan being stripped of the title. No problems on that uh, with regards to that. Now, your first Money in the Bank qualifier was Bad News Barrett and Sheamus. Even though it's a match we've seen a dozen times, the stakes were very, very high. And the match itself was a really, really great brawling match. It was it was tremendous. I was shocked that, you know, Bad News Barrett came out on the losing end with this match because I truly felt that Sheamus being in, in the money in the bank, while it's great, I felt Bad News Barrett was a guy that you can keep an eye on and maybe think hey, this guy has a chance of winning. Seeing Sheamus in the Money in the Bank match to me leads me to believe that, you know, it's like Sheamus, there's no surprise if he were to win the belt. If Sheamus were to win the belt and Money in the Bank, it wouldn't surprise anybody because, you know, he's a Triple H guy and whatever, you know, pretty much that's it. If anything, Bad News Barrett would be the better the, the better guy because he's red hot, the crowd is into him, and even if he's a transitional champion, it'll be a brand new face. You know, it'll be somebody who's 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 completely brand new. But again, they're going with the old the old vintage Sheamus instead of the uh, upstart Bad News Barrett. But to each his own. So, um, the Wyatt family continue to improve promo wise. Harper and Rowan continue to impress. I mean, they're getting on on the same level as Bray Wyatt with regards to their promos. As for um, Luke Harper, his ring work is, it's magic. It is a wonderful thing to watch. I felt it was very good. And um, 
they, they're just improving leaps and bounds. I mean, when I wrote our three R's column for this week, I cited their, their just continued improvement and how they're starting to stand really apart from Bray Wyatt. And it's starting to show more so now when Bray Wyatt's focus is obviously on other things. The Wyatt family themselves are starting to go after titles and people are starting to take notice. That's all I'm saying. So Lana comes out, cuts her typical Lana promo as usual, a little quarter turn, a little tush action. Rusev comes out, kills Zack Ryder dead. And before I get into the next match, I got to talk about this because the Rusev push is obviously being modeled after the Umaga push in the sense that the inevitable Rusev John Cena collision is coming. Now, my issue with that is that in Rusev's case, once you lose once, how do you rebound from that with a guy that you're booking in such an unstoppable fashion? I mean, even Goldberg, when his streak was broken, even though he was at the apex of his popularity, there was still a a little bit of a of a of a loss in terms of fan base. I personally feel that in this situation Rusev, you got to keep him dangerous, you got to keep him aggressive and you got to keep him always in the tight not in the title picture but always a guy that's a that's a, a loose cannon. In the sense that if you put Rusev in with John Cena, John Cena shouldn't beat Rusev and Rusev should get himself disqualified as much as possible. It just keeps the momentum you know, it keeps everything. John Blade says if you have him lose to Cena, it's not that big of a blow to him because it's super Cena. I understand where you're coming from, but the fact remains that you're building this guy as this giant, unstoppable monster, this accomplished athlete. And regardless of Cena being the, the Superman, the big guy of the company, it just doesn't look right when you build this guy. It's it's what we talked about a couple of months back where a guy like Rey Mysterio beating a guy like the Big Show is a shocker, but it's not something you should see all the time. You know? Like that like that it's the same thing. It's like Rusev is supposed to be this big unstoppable monster. Cena should overcome the odds to beat him if that or it should always end with some sort of shenanigans until you get to the point where your where your your heel is established enough that the loss won't hurt him. That's all I'm saying. Ryback and Curtis Axel took on Goldust and R-Truth in a very serviceable match. I did feel that the match just continues to obviously um, accelerate the, the, the ongoing feud that's brewing between Goldust and Cody Rhodes, which I got no problem. I got no problem with that. Um, you know, with regards to Ryback and Curtis Axel, those guys, even though they're not beloved by myself or the rest of the MTR staff, I do like that they're just going out there having a good time. They're starting to connect. They're really they're really starting to become a, kind of a staple in the tag team and it's working for them. I'm not saying that they're they're the greatest tag team, but they look like their their personalities are gelling together in such a way that it's genuinely enjoyable to watch. That's all I'm saying. So the 3MB come out and they cut their they're getting ready to cut their promo then all of a sudden uh, the shield come out and pretty much kill them dead. Now, the funny thing about this, the, the funny thing about this was that the shield wanted to come out and, and make a statement, which is great. I have no problem with that. And I want to talk about this because Roman reigns, somebody either 
decided to let Roman Reigns' personality run free or one of the writers was in the bathroom and they told Roman Reigns to go out there and wing it. Because I'll tell you this, that promo that Ambrose and Reigns delivered was, I don't want to say it was flawless, but it definitely was a top-tier promos. So I'm going to play it for you guys. I'm not going to play the video because YouTube seems to get pissed off when we do that. But check out this promo. The shield was untouchable. And we will go down in the history books as one of the greatest groups in sports entertainment ever. We dominated WWE, we beat everybody. Even Evolution. But we weren't healthy. We had a cancer inside of us, little did we know. And that cancer's name Cancer's name was Seth Rollins. History is full of people like you, Seth. Everybody in this building knows somebody like you, Seth. The kind of guy that would stab his brother in the back. Suck up. He would sell out to the authority. Now, when I get the opportunity to rearrange your face, which I will, your nose isn't going to be here anymore. It's going to be over here. By your ear. I say ear because you're only going to have one left. I'm going to rip all your dirty, stinking hair out by the roots. I'm going to stuff it in your mouth. There'll be plenty of room where your teeth used to be. Seth Rollins, my brother. Ambrose is a fucking lunatic. And we are looking forward to what that scum has to say tonight. We want you to stand out here in this ring in front of the whole world and lie through your teeth. We want you to stand out here in the middle of this ring in front of the whole world. Before I play the rest of this promo, Please note, Dean Ambrose called Seth Rollins scum, even though Dean Ambrose looks like a certified rapist, which is which is tremendous. You got this guy that looks like a complete psychopath calling somebody scum, but it's just a nice bit of uh, turnabout is fair play, so to speak. Ambrose definitely stepping his game up, but it gets better. Check this out. And we want them to hear Triple H's words coming out of your mouth we're gonna listen to every word of it and then we're gonna beat the hell out of you go ahead Roman take the mic here we go said you committed the most unforgivable sin Oh, Roman Reigns, here we go. You're the scum of the earth. There's things you don't do in life. 
You don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't piss in the wind, and you don't ever stab your brothers in the back. But you're only part of the problem. <laughs> the other parts are Randy Orton and Triple H. Randy Orton, he, he runs around here and he thinks everybody owes him something. He Preach. thinks he's the face of the company. Preach on, Roman. When I get my hands on you, Randy, you're going to be the ass of this company. And when I'm done with you, I'm coming for you, Triple H. The King of Kings. We're going to have our own Game of Thrones. Believe that. See, incredible personality at work from Roman Reigns. I was incredibly surprised that his promo work was so effective. Like I said, it's like creative was in the bathroom or they just stepped away for a moment and the music hit and Roman's like, yo, what am I going to say out there? And they're like, go ahead, man, go out there. And, and you know, you can handle it. You sure? Yeah, go ahead, go out there. You can handle it. And he just went out there and did what he had to do. Again, Ambrose is this high up promo wise, but Romans and but Roman Reigns and Rollins are both stepping up in their own unique ways. In Seth Rollins' case, it was it was definitely a great a, a great exchange when he did the sit down with Michael Cole. I felt that that was pretty much Roman Reigns kind of getting the upper hand when they squared off, but Rollins didn't run away, which was good. So, again, everybody's promo work on Monday night was fantastic. Now, another person that joined our 3Rs column this week, from honorable mention to borderline ridiculous, was the Usos taking on Fandango and Damian Sandow. There was so much terribleness in this match because Damian Sandow came out wearing like a unitard and it was it was it was hysterical because he kept a straight face and you know what fuck it let the chips fall where they may I I got to share this because it is it is fucking insanity at its finest there's no other way to describe it let let's uh, you know what I don't even have to play the video look at him look at that Look at his outfit in his tag team match with Fandango. Please, look. Straight yam bag, fucking leotard action. Oh, it, it was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, but you know what the best part of it was? It was the fact that I was going to play it, but I decided not to because, like I said, I don't want to piss YouTube off. It was it was so bad. And I, I I commend Damian Sandow for really just going out there, being a company guy, towing the line. Because how can you not with a straight face just just laugh your ass off? Like I could imagine they said, Damian, you're gonna go out there with Fandango tonight and you're gonna wear this jumpsuit and you're gonna look like a complete asshole, free balling and everything. Are you sure about this? And Triple H comes over, puts his arm around him. Ah, it'll be fine. You know, don't worry about it. You know, this is this is this is brief. It'll pass. People will forget about this in months. And it's like no one's gonna forget about the fact that you were free balling in a unitard and you were dancing with with a piece of um, you know, with a streamer at the start of this match. It was it was so bad. 
it was it was so bad but again it was so ridiculous that it worked which is crazy it genuinely worked i said to myself who he, he probably said he's like yo what did i do to deserve this but then him being a company guy is going to pay dividends down the road so we had another we had another outstanding match from the one and only bo dallas from t bo dallas and um listen I understand people have a a fondness for the gimmick and they think the gimmick is okay. I think the gimmick fucking sucks. I'm sorry. I think the shit sucks. It sucks, I tell you. You know, it's like as soon as he comes on TV, it's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And then it's like, I believe in taking a shit during this match. I believe that this match is going to suck. It's ridiculous. I, um... I want to share something that someone brought to my attention, um, and I got to give full credit to the crew at 411 Mania for this because this is what people see when they look at Bo Dallas, and I didn't notice it until now. Look at that. Look at his hair in this picture and this kid, and then you got Troll Yao Ming and just Bo Dallas thumbs up. Horrifying. This top picture alone horrifying but but in all in all seriousness it's i understand where they're going with this but it's just i don't believe the way i should maybe because i felt they should have just put him with the wyatts and worked that angle versus just oh you're gonna come out you're gonna be this help self-help guy allegedly what what they're saying is that vince mcmahon's not even feeling the gimmick this the adam rose gimmick and even poor page aren't getting any love from vince mcmahon but regardless of whether that's true or not i'm just i don't feel the bo dallas gimmick once you get past the entrance and his promo work i really don't think it's that great i really don't i feel it's good i feel it's 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 amusing but looking at this gimmick six months from now no one's gonna give a shit about it that's just that's just it yes simon dean Thank you. Uh, uh, rest in peace, JTG. Simon Dean is exactly what that reminds me of. That's it. It's like Simon Dean just with, you know, looking like like a skinnier Bray Wyatt. That's it. And it and missed it's true it doesn't fit him. It just looks so it looks a little weird. That's all I mean. I could be I could be mistaken, but it it's a it, there's more to it than that. Especially because if they say he's such a good ring work, he has such good ring work. Playing the, the bootleg Tebow gimmick, there's got to be something better. Really does. Jay says, uh, Vince is an, old, is an old fart. Let it go. Bo does that perfect. It is hilarious. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. The gimmick is amusing. But in terms of just long-term benefits, I do not see an upside. I mean, Jay, if you got a compelling argument, by all means, please feel free to share it. But I don't think that once you take away that whole believe aspect, you're dealing with just a regular guy. You're dealing with with a chubbier Trent Beretta at this point. You know, it, it's like or long haired Tony Robbins. Thank you, New Shield member. You know, and it's it's just I I don't know. I think I just need more to be sold on the gimmick. Like Bad News Barrett, it took me some time, but the Bad News Barrett gimmick grew on me to the point where now it's just it's just awesome. Initially, I was like, eh, now it's now it's okay. This Bo Leave shit, eh, not so much.
that's that's just where I stand. Our next Money in the Bank qualifier, RVD and Cesaro, was very, very impressive. Um, Rob Van Dam, he wasn't paint by numbers this week. He actually was trying to have a good match with Cesaro, and it worked. Uh, Cesaro is in the Money in the Bank, and I would not be shocked if they surprised us all and put the belt on him because it would probably be one of the more surprising things that they could do. Because obviously the no-brainer is Randy Orton or Sheamus. But Cesaro running off with the belt would be insanity at its best. And it would do wonders for Paul Heyman's mic work saying that his client defeated Brock Lesnar and his other client is your WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, just, Just overall in terms of storytelling, it would be good. And um, I, I'd, I'd love to see it. I really, really would love to see it. So we get our sit-down with Seth Rollins, which is, um, you know, A-OK. Seth Rollins comes out, cuts his promo, kind of gives his reasoning. The Shield come out ready to whoop his ass. And all of a sudden, the Wyatts are out there and all hell breaks loose. So, again, solid stuff. Never never a bad moment with uh, Rollins cutting his uh, cutting his promo. I'm curious to see what they're going to do, um, you know, just Rollins' ring gear and how he's going to start adopting, uh, you know, adapting his persona for this new singles push. Now, some people have been saying that they're not going to make him part of Evolution and that Evolution, in theory, has run its course. I'm curious to see if that's going to be true or not. So maybe in the coming weeks, we'll get some more light shed on that. Paige squared off against Alicia Fox in a in a bathroom break match. Um, just because the the Oksana thing and just the uh, the entire way that 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 match played out was so was so terrible, it, I, which is crazy because I think Paige's ring work is good, but that match with Alicia Fox was just it was fucking it was it was a cringe worthy match. I don't know if it was because they just weren't meshing well, but it didn't it didn't work. It did not work. I mean, Paige, you know, I got no problems with Paige, but the match itself looked incredibly, I don't even want to say flat. It just, we started seeing some really good matches with Paige, and this went right back to, oh my God, I got to go take a shit. That type of, uh, of uh, and it was primarily because there was really no story being told. It was, oh, Alicia Fox loses again and has a has a, a, a an attack and goes crazy. Like, it wasn't. There wasn't more at, at stake, you know? It was just, oh, Alicia Fox getting a title again. That was it. Jack Swagger and Santino Morella was, was... I can't even... this. That's what it was. That's what that match was to me. Or, or this. Oh, my God! Ah! 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 Oh, that's better. Yeah, that's how I felt because Jack Swagger, not the best wrestler, not the worst wrestler, but holy shit, you got to go out there with Santino again. It was, it was, oh my God, it was horrifying, but we ended up getting the shield and John Cena, of course, like I said, when, you know, when the Wyatts and the shield exchanged, John Cena ran out for the save. People were like, oh, um. Is John Cena going to join the Shield? Please, no. Anybody that says that John Cena would be a great part of the Shield, d- no. Don't do not do it. Don't do it to yourselves. Don't give WWE any ideas. It, it doesn't need to happen. We don't need it. We don't need it. 
On the contrary, I would rather John Cena just go off into another feud and the Shield get a new member versus the Shield just being stuck with John Cena in six-man tag matches. It just doesn't just doesn't work for me. Don't get me wrong, the match itself was good. Very good match. Uh, the Shield and the Wyatt family, as always, they, they deliver stellar ring work. And, um, you know, it's, it's just... Let's let's not go crazy and start chanting for John Cena to join the Shield, please. Don't do it. There's no necessity. Overall, Raw was was pretty decent, uh, academic to some degree, um, but there was some great plot development, some great angle advancement. Like I said, Ambrose and Reigns got ample time to shine on the mic. Rollins' reasoning for the turn was was established in a pretty believable way. But there were a lot of throwaway matches, like I said, the the Rusev squash, uh, the Santino match, the Page match. There was there was a lot of there was a lot of lulls, considering that you have such a such a huge roster of talented guys. We were seeing a lot of the same shit, just a lot of the same shit. Which, if you start relying on that again and and delivering that substandard programming, people aren't going to give a shit about your you know your roster the way they should that's all i'm saying i i really felt that there was more low not even more lows that there were just more flat moments in this broadcast than usual considering the momentum that the broadcast has had for the last couple of months again if i'm wrong by all means feel free to share or call in 347-324-3541 let me know what you think and um, I'd, I'd love to hear it. As for the rest of the wrestling news for this week, we got a lot to discuss. So I, um, I want to talk about Tamina because Tamina went from fighting Paige to disappearing from television. And it makes you wonder, um, hey, where is she? Well, as it turns out, Tamina suffered an ACL and meniscus tear in her left knee. And she suffered that um, during a, a recent match. And as and due to that, she is going to be out for six months. So think about it. AJ is out. Tamina is out. Um, Brie Bella is, you know, she quit. So Oksana got the boot. So when you look at it, you got pretty much Paige, Alicia Fox, Nikki Bella, just your usual suspects, Summer Rae, who's too busy feuding with Layla. And again, your your roster your your female roster feels flat. That's all it is. Um, Cranberry Kid says, "I mean, it could be a black screen all night and still rate better than TNA." John says, "As much as it sucks that she got injured, I didn't notice she was gone." <laughs> oh shit! You guys, you guys in the chat are definitely um, stepping your game up tonight. Uh, with, with regards to Tamina being missing. I did notice that her presence was was lacking because we started seeing Alicia Fox more often than I'd like. Again, you know, her diary of a mad black woman gimmick where she's fucking crazy, it's okay, but, eh, you know. Ah, yes, new S.H.I.E.L.D. member, Emma. It's like Emma was on TV, but I think she got hurt or she was dealing with some issue and she was off TV, but Emma's a great worker and I'd like to see where they go with her character because her playing Santino with boobs, just that shit's going to wear out very, very quickly. 
I got to send a, uh, you know, just a, an acknowledgement to Jim Ross, who was actually hospitalized due to uh, exhibiting stroke symptoms due to some medication that he was taking. So um, glad to hear that Jim Ross was on the mend. I think that we're at a stage where if something happened to Jim Ross, everybody would be talking about it for the foreseeable future. Because when you talk about legendary voices of professional wrestling, you talk about Gordon Soley, um, you talk about Gorilla Monsoon, Jesse the Body, Vince McMahon, but you, Jim Ross was at the forefront of some of these great wrestling moments. And sure, you can complain about, oh, his Southern drawl or the fact that, you know, he's dealing with, with Bell's palsy. But Jim Ross had something that Michael Cole, JBL, and Jerry Lawler lack on every broadcast. And that is that Jim Ross made you invested emotionally in every match. Every match that JR called, you felt that you were part of that match, the emotion that he exhibited. And, you know, when I heard he was hospitalized, I was like, fuck, that's all we need. Um, you know, it really... It really hurt my feelings, just just not not hurt my feelings, but it just it saddened me to hear that he was hospitalized because it's like, holy cow, you know, Jim Ross is a is is such a a, a great WWE legend that if anything happened to him, like I said, you would be you would be talking about it for the foreseeable future. There are so many great Jim Ross moments. I mean, don't get me wrong, him getting set on fire by Kane and all the terrible moments in front of Oklahoma, you know, in front of his crowd in Oklahoma, his home crowd in Oklahoma are memorable because they were so awful. But Jim Ross's genuine passion for, for the business, you can't forget that, especially when he called matches for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, my God, Stone Cold, Stone Cold, son of a bitch, son of a bitch. I mean, yeah, you could laugh at that, but again... By God, King. Thank you, Cranberry Kid. By God, he's been broken in half. It was, you know, moments like that. I think one of my favorite pairings was Jim Ross with Paul Heyman. If you guys remember when Paul Heyman replaced Jerry Lawler after Jerry Lawler had the falling out with WWE over the cat, who was his um his fuck trophy at the time. I mean, his, partly his daughter, partly his, 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 his squeeze, because she was like five years old, you know, it's it's one of those things. Jim Ross, his work with Paul Heyman during that tenure was was amazing. I loved his chemistry with Paul Heyman. You can tell that Jim Ross had some genuine disdain sharing the booth with Paul Heyman, but it led to such great commentary. I was there, there's no fonder moments of Jim Ross than that because I felt that at that moment you started seeing genuine emotion from Jim Ross because he had his you can tell just on his interactions with Paul Heyman that he felt he didn't feel Paul Heyman belonged in there with him for obvious reasons but the the disdain made the commentary so good it was it was it was tremendous it was tremendous so I'm glad to hear Jim Ross is on the mend um you know the doctors had ran some tests and they had found that he had a minor undiagnosed stroke in the past but that the reason that he was having stroke-like symptoms, heart attack symptoms now, was because of um, some medication that he was on. So again, I'm so, I'm glad to hear Jim Ross is on the on the mend, and hopefully, uh, like always, you know he'll continue delivering great wrestling knowledge. If you listen to the to the Ross Report podcast, you'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, Jim Ross is just tremendous. He is. Uh, My God, he got beat like a government mule. <laughs> He's stomping a mud hole in him and walking it dry.
Love love that shit, man. Jim Ross, one in a million. Anyway, I want I'm curious how, to how Jay feels about this next bit of news because a lot of sites are reporting that former Ring of Honor World Champion Kevin Steen has officially signed with the WWE. Um, WWE hasn't reported anything right now. They're saying that. Um, Kevin Steen is going to finish his independent bookings and then report to NXT. I think Kevin Steen has such a unique look that it's going to make for an interesting addition to the roster. I'm just not sure that Kevin Steen looking like so much and every man is going to is going to really go over with management because he doesn't have the quote unquote look. But the thing is, Kevin Steen is a is an amazing, amazing competitor and much like I was talking about uh, Willie Mack, I did wanna I did wanna talk about Kevin Steen because Kevin Steen uh, is just a tremendous worker. His work with El Generico, who many of you know as Sami Zayn, is tremendous. I want you guys to take a quick look at this. It's El Generico, aka Sami Zayn, and Kevin Steen from Ring of Honor Final Battles Ladder Match. You want to see what Kevin Steen is all about? Check this shit out. Let's fast forward a little bit. Sami Zayn. Whoa! Our first Tope Suicida. Club from behind by Steen. Steen demanded that brand new Ring of Honor championship belt be made as part of his agreement with Ring of Honor, along with well, the, the, uh, the package pile driver. The, the pile driver back being legal. ROH officials had no choice but to comply, so there it is, the brand new 30 pounds of gold suspended high above the ring. Generico trying to hoist Steen. Can he do it? Uh, nah. Generico hits the ropes. Uh-oh. See it. Oh, oh, my goodness. Flames. Oh, he is going to leave final battle. So yeah, I think I think the addition of Kevin Steen to the WWE roster is going to be ridiculous. I feel, you know, Kevin Steen being a part of this roster is going to just add a, a unique dynamic. I mean, if you guys like uh, Bray Wyatt's ring work thus far, Kevin Steen is going to blow it out of the water. And uh, New Shield member, if they take away the package power driver, fuck the WWE. I agree. The, the package pile driver is such a scary finisher, but so insane that if you, when you see it, you'll be like, holy shit, you know, it's like, it, it, it's so devastating, but it's also probably a safer maneuver to be executed. We'll see what WWE does. Uh, John Blade says, I like Bray Wyatt, just less rest holds. Interesting. You're probably one of the first people that says that said that about Bray Wyatt because if anybody abuses rest holds, it's Randall. Randy Orton loves himself some fucking chin locks. He is a chin lock master. He has 95. He is the Dean Malenko of chin locks. 
This motherfucker puts you from a he he probably puts his wife in a chin lock to conceive their kids. This is how much of a this is how this is how well versed in chin lock usage Randy Orton is. That motherfucker is Captain Resthold. <laughs> John Blade, man of a thousand and four rest holds. Seriously, I, I, Randy Orton's matches are you know backbreaker, then chin lock, then headlock into chin lock, then maybe uh, the DDT into possibly another chin lock. It's it's insane. Nobody, I it, it, he hasn't been doing it as much lately. But the uh, I'd say a year or two ago, Randy Orton's matches chin locks like a motherfucker. I'm like, dude, really? Like, I understand that you gotta re- you gotta throw the occasional rest hold in there, but Jesus, that it, that's like the 85th chin lock in 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> John Blade, in 2K15, you transitioned the RKO into a chin lock. And that's him working. Oh, man. Uh, GFQ viewer says uh, that's him working hard. <laughs> it's it's crazy, you know? People, people talk about all these uh, Randy Orton and how he's such a great wrestler. Randy Orton is, an int- is a good wrestling personality. His wrestling itself is just, it's okay. And 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 I want to know: Do you guys agree? Do you guys agree that Randy Orton's wrestling doesn't leave much to be desired? It's okay, but it's not great. It's not stellar. I want to know if you guys agree or disagree because I feel that Randy Orton, as a performer, he's the WWE equivalent of the perfect performer. But in terms of wrestling, it's it's not it's not the move. It's not the move. John Blade says, uh, Randy's wrestling is decent, but the lack of personality doesn't help. Slick says, hanging DDT, big whoop. New Shield member says, and I quote, I'd be cool with the WWE taking away the pile driver if they use it on a big match. Yeah, I'd love to see you take away the pile driver and save it for those huge moments. Oh, it'd be tremendous. Rest in peace, JTG says, very boring matches. It's all the same. <laughs> Come on, John Blade. Shit. He needs to turn heel, get another skull tattoo, and bring back the punt. And New Shield member with comment of the night, Randy Orton equals John Fitch. (laughs) Holy shit. Ah, come on, Mist. Mist drops the Viper glare is his personality. You guys are killing me. Well, speaking of personality and insanity, Ric Flair passed all his required medical testing and is going to be returning to TV. Now, all signs point to him managing The Miz once again, which, you know, at this point, that's that's how I feel about it. You know, Ric Flair managing The Miz is fucking terrible. Ric Flair needs to just manage Charlotte, and then Charlotte comes to the main roster. I don't need Flair managing The Miz. I don't need Flair managing Dolph Ziggler. I don't need Flair managing anybody that's not his daughter. Why? Because he sucks all the heat out of the room. Anybody there, anybody there that, anybody that's booked with Ric Flair at this point is not going to be able to get over because Ric Flair is going to suck all the energy out of that arena. Think about it. Ric Flair comes out with The Miz. People are going to be chanting woo and, and all this shit. 
and and the Miz is just gonna be there. You know what the Miz is? He's gonna be the he's gonna hold Ric Flair's jacket. He's gonna carry Ric Flair's luggage. He's probably gonna get him coffee from catering. That's what that's what the relationship is gonna be because Ric Flair is bigger than anyone else. The reason Ric Flair worked in Evolution was because everybody in Evolution was a huge part of the grand scheme of things. No, no, no. Jinder, Jinder Mahal, I have a, a, a very unique theory with Jinder Mahal. But but in all seriousness, it, Ric Flair being put with The Miz is a death sentence for The Miz. Ric Flair needs to just come out with his daughter, elbow drop his jacket, and be a complete lunatic. If not that, then make him the GM and be done with it. And maybe that'll add a little bit of interest to the whole authority thing. But other than that, putting The Miz with Ric Flair is a death sentence for The Miz. It really is. No, Nobody gives a shit about The Miz. It's terrible. Listen, The Miz was relevant when he was with A-Rye. He was probably at the top of his game or when he was with Daniel Bryan. Other than that, The Miz is probably the lesser entertaining equivalent of Zack Ryder. This empty can of monster has more personality than The Miz does when he is not a heel. As a face, this monster can can cut a better promo. Like The Miz is, this is what happens. The Miz, here, here's how I stand, where The Miz stands. He is an effective heel. Probably a better heel than Randy Orton, just because he can play the douchebag heel so well. But The Miz can never be a face. Ever. Ever. Can't be a face. You know? The Miz can never be a face. It just cannot work. Like I've said before, you have guys that are bona fide heels and guys that are bona fide faces, and then you got tweeners. Other than that, there's there's not much. There's gray area. Gray area, like Randy Orton. You can book Randy Orton as a tweener, and it's fine. But Randy Orton can't be a full-on face because it sucks. Jay Santi says, bring back the four horsemen with Rick as the JJ in the JJ Dillon role. I could live with that. A brand new four horsemen. Ric Flair comes out. He says, we, you know, we've had evolution. We've had the shield. And everybody talks about these, these up and coming talents. What the WWE needs is a brand new four horsemen. And that's it. You create a brand new four horsemen with Ric Flair as JJ Dillon. And you use that to create a group of new stars. With Ric Flair at the helm. I could accept that. You know? Cranberry Kid says, get rid of The Miz and bring back JTG. <laughs> I felt bad for JTG. And before, and you guys can bring him up so much that I got to say that I felt bad when he put on Twitter, damn, I shouldn't have picked up the phone today. And it just makes you wonder. It's like, what is JTG doing? He's just chilling at home, hanging out, maybe rolling a blunt, playing some Madden. Yo, kid, your phone's ringing. Nah, 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 it's all right. All of a sudden, yo, 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 yo. Jay, it's for you. Hello? Hey, it's Hunter. Hey, what's up, Triple H? What's going on? Uh, I just wanted to let you know that um, we're going to have to let you go, Jay. Damn. <laughs> like, like, he's outside playing CeeLo and shit, rolling up a Jay hanging out he just gets the call his next tell is ringing because i always feel that jtg is trapped in the 90s like he's outside he's got some airbrush jeans on 
He's playing CeeLo, and he gets a call on his next tell that's like eight, 18 years too fucking late. And it's like, yo, it's a phone call for you. John says they're like, no, seriously, you're out. <laughs> oh, shit. But seriously, it's like, hello, hello? Yeah, Jay, 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 it's, it, it's Hunter. Hey, Triple H, man, what's going on? Uh, I, you're, I gotta let you, I gotta let you go, bro. I gotta let you go. I, creative has nothing for you. Really? Damn. Like, like that's how I see it. I see JTG just being that. JTG looking like an extra from the Locks video. Like that's like that's how it is. Like whenever you think of like Mob Deep and them doing a video in the projects, I feel JTG is in the background of every video. John Blade says, you know, Zack Ryder was in a panic room with his cell phone in the corner crying every time it rang. No, you know what's funny? I think Zack Ryder had his phone on his desk. He came back from Roosevelt Field. He sat at his table and he goes, go ahead, motherfucker, ring, ring. And every time he answered the phone, he'd be like, hello, hello. Hey, Zack, what's up? It's your dad. Hey, dad, what's up? Who'd you think it was? Creative. What, you think they're going to fire you? Yeah. Like Zach, like Zach Ryder's begging creative to fire him. I, I have a feeling that Zach Ryder just sits at home, not giving a fuck because think about it. He got over without the business. He's a recognizable name and he can probably go to any other promotion and be an upper tier guy. As much as people shit on Zach Ryder, Zach Ryder has all the tools to be an upper tier guy. You know? De Silva, JTG, I'm released. At least I can finish this blunt now and not get tested. <laughs> you know, JTG was calling Shad Gaspard after that phone call. Shad Gaspard, of course, a friend of the show. We've had him on before. You know, he's like, yo, man, you here? Yeah, man, I heard. Yo, what do you think, man? We could go hit up some indie shows, rob a couple people outside. You see Shad Gaspard like, Jay, I'm not into that anymore. Come on, man. Throw the ski mask on, wait outside for them to come out. No, can't do it. Come on, man. A little crime time outside. Nope. Can't do it. Like, it, like it's just, it's, it's crazy. It is. So, there's so much craziness in the JTG release that it can become its own segment. Anyway, let me go through everything else. So after raw ended, they announced that Kevin Hart was going to be hosting raw, uh, this coming Monday. He's going to be promoting his brand new think like a man too. And, uh, yeah. No one, no one's going to give a shit about Kevin Hart. The only thing good about Kevin Hart hosting Raw is that he may actually put put some serious jokes on somebody that if you're really into his comedy, you'll enjoy. But um, other than that, listen, uh, the guest hosting thing, Hugh Jackman probably has done one of the better guest hosting stints in quite some time, but we'll see what happens with uh, Kevin Hart. Hopefully he can go out there and have some fun. Otherwise, um... <laughs> John Blade writes, I know Cranberry is torqued for Kevin Hart. Cranberry Kid writes, fuck him. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Kevin Hart is going to be put into a skit with R-Truth and Xavier Woods. <laughs> that's what happens. That is really what happens. Anyway, remember a couple of weeks back we were talking about Tyson Kidd being put under a mask with a luchador gimmick? Well, Looks like creative is changing their mind and is not going to do it. I don't know how believable that is, 
but poor Tyson Kidd can't can't catch a break. Hey, Tyson, you're going to be a luchador this week. All right, awesome. Nah, we decided not. You're just going to continue being Natalia's husband for the next couple of months. Shit. <laughs> like, that's probably what he does. He probably just sits there like, fuck, you know, I... It's like, I go, I have this match with Adrian Neville, it's fantastic, they're gonna put me under a mask, and then all of a sudden, back to, you know, back to being me. It's, poor bastard. Anyway, let's talk about that, these releases, because this is, this is the big news story of the day. So, Oksana got the boot, and considering that she pretty much broke Naomi's face, it was inevitable. Kurt Hawkins had a pretty serviceable match in NXT against Adrian Neville. I don't know why he got the can. Theodore Long, holla, holla, holla your ass out the door. Uh, Camacho, which, whatever. At that point, it's like, who? Camacho? Who? Like, that's pretty much that. Uh, Brodus Clay got the boot. But I can tell you that Brodus Clay being released was a, a culmination of just a bunch of shitty booking. First of all... He had a great, unique look. He was an athletic big man, but the minute you turned him into the fucking Funkasaurus, that was the end of his. That was the end of him doing anything other than being Barney the Purple Dinosaur out out of costume. That was it. He had nothing else going for him once they stopped the Funkasaurus gimmick. Period. Uh, Evan Bourne, which at this point I think they just wanted to release him, but couldn't do it while he was injured because it would look fucked up. So they figured, fuck it, we'll we'll wait for him to get better, and then we'll cut him loose. Yoshitatsu, I'm a little upset about because Yoshitatsu continues to reinforce what I've said before, that WWE does not know how to book Japanese performers. WWE has no idea how to book Japanese wrestlers. Every time they bring in a Japanese wrestler, it's always the same. All right, we're going to bring in a new Japanese guy. All right, Vince, what kind of gimmick should we give him? I figured we're going to make him one of the guys that shot up Tiananmen Square. Vince, you can't do that. Tiananmen Square is a very touchy subject. Damn it. Why doesn't anybody want to work with me? Vince, here's an idea. Let's just let him be a Japanese wrestler. No, 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 no. Why not make him one of the guys that works at Benihana? Vince, Vince, you can't have him be a Benihana chef. People would be offended. Damn it. Why can't you make him a kamikaze pilot? And he runs from someone dressed like Godzilla. That's it. That's a great gimmick, Vince. Yoshitatsu will run from somebody dressed as Godzilla as part of his entrance. Much like the Exotic Express, it'll be Godzilla chasing Yoshitatsu to the ring, and he will be the mascot for his matches. Brilliant, Vince. Brilliant. This is a great idea. Yoshi, get ready to start running. Then all of a sudden, Godzilla music plays. You see Yoshitatsu running for his dear, for dear life. He gets in the, into the ring. Godzilla stands outside. He'll be the Japanese equivalent of El Torito with the Matadors. Oh, it'd be tremendous. It would be fucking amazing. Just, just him running out there, just looking like a complete asshole. So I want to go to the chat one second. And... Um, JT, rest in peace, JTG writes to Jerry Sadface. Tajiri was probably one of the few guys that was booked marginally good. I think the best Tajiri was booked was when he was with, with William Regal because it was just ridiculous. Uh, Yoshi out, Kenta in. Very true, Jay, very true. 
Uh, DeSilva says, WWE doesn't know how to deal with Japanese talent. I think it's more like WWE doesn't know how to deal with talent. <laughs> Cranberry Kid brings up Jimmy Wang Yang. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. What it do? No, no, no. That was, yep, yep, yep. What it do was, um, was Ryback's terrible Skip Shetfield gimmick. Jimmy Wang Yang was a cowboy too, I remember, which was fucking terrible. All the same. This goes back to what I'm saying. None of these Japanese performers have gotten remotely, remotely the right amount of attention. I think the closest one, like I said, besides Tajiri, was maybe when they brought in the Ultimo Dragon, because the Ultimo Dragon at least was pretty badass. But other than that, it's like nothing. Which is crazy, because you look at guys like uh, Ultimo Dragon, you look at Jushin Thunder Liger, Hayabusa, Jinsei Shinzaki, Mr. Ganosuke, um, Kenta, who else can I put on that list? Uh, the Great Muda. You go down a list of great Japanese performers, and very few of them have graced WWE's ring and at, at look successful. Like, you would have thought by this time, Jushin Thunder Liger would have been in the WWE at some point. Think about it. Jushin Thunder Liger is probably one of the most marketable guys, but I guarantee you, you give him to the WWE, they will fuck him up too. Vince, you know, Jushin Thunder Liger is a legend. This guy is a, we're going to dress him up like a Power Ranger. He's going to go out there and he's going to call the Megazord. And somebody's going to come out dressed in a robot costume. Vince, that's a great idea. Let's go for it. Like, this is this is the shit we're talking about. It's like, we're going we're gonna to do that. And, oh man, John Blade brought up Funaki. Funaki was okay. SmackDown's number one announcer, but that was such a terrible comedy gimmick. You know, it was, it was, it, it was, Taka Michinoku was written terribly. He was probably another guy that was okay, but Taka Michinoku got no love. No love. Miss says it's done on purpose. Vince doesn't want people to think other promotions are better than WWE. That is true. It's like if you come from WWE, if you, if you come to WWE from another promotion that's remotely, remotely interesting, Vince McMahon doesn't want to hear it because he wants to be the guy that created you. He wants to be the driving force in why you're successful. And I understand to a degree that's all well and good, but there's so many great Japanese performers out there and it's always such a travesty to see them come to WWE and get shit on. And yes, Funaki is better than Santino any day of the week. Funaki is an infinitely better character than fucking Santino. Infinitely better. Anyway, talking about other releases besides that, of course, Jinder Mahal, uh, Drew McIntyre, Mark Harris, uh, referee Mark Harris joined the rest of these guys that got the boot. And here's, here's the funny thing. When I look at this roster, I say to myself, who could have been saved with good booking and good writing? First up, I got to say Drew McIntyre, he had the look. He had the look. He had all the tools. And he just he just got ripped apart. And the funny thing is, he started off as a passable wrestler, and then he continued to improve. And by the time he improved, he was so ruined by being in 3MB that it, there was no saving him. And no vow, they did not fire they didn't fire, um, what's his name? Uh, Heath Slater. Heath Slater went back to being the one-man man once again. 
And I think the reason they like Heath Slater is because he's actually happy being a jobber. Like, Heath Slater's okay with being a jobber. He, like, I've never heard anybody say that Heath Slater complains about his spot on the roster. It's like, oh, I'm part of the, I'm part of the WWE. Great. Now, if you look at a guy like Heath Slater, Heath Slater probably won't last another year. And if he does, it'll be a miracle. Zack Ryder, love him or hate him, I'm sorry to say, but if Zack Ryder makes it into 2015, I would be shocked. Because it's just, they just have zero for those guys. Zack Ryder and, you know, Zack Ryder and Heath Slater and hell, even Hunico. For as much as they like Hunico, I do feel that Hunico, once you take that Sin Cara gimmick away, they're not going to do anything with him and he's going to get cut loose which is unfortunate because Hunico seems to work well with everyone what everybody's been saying the last couple of hours has been something that you can probably see a mile away and that's the fact that for as long as WWE has NXT wrestlers that are very solid a lot of the guys on the roster are on are on death watch and it's funny because Trent Barretta said on Twitter that it should have been Kofi Kingston now with that said, and I want to put this out there, do you think Kofi Kingston should be released? I'm just curious. I mean, regardless of what Trent Beretta said, I'm curious. Do you feel Kofi Kingston should have been re- should be released? Because I want to know. John Blade says they need someone for the Rumble to do the spots. Okay. But but here's the thing. They had Shelton Benjamin. They let Shelton Benjamin go. Here's here's where I stand with Kofi Kingston. An incredibly talented performer who has zero mic work. Zero. Val says Kofi Kingston is the mid-card. You know what the funny thing is? Kofi Kingston is the mid-card to you. As far as I'm concerned, Kofi Kingston is is not the mid-card when you have Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler's pretty much the fucking mid-card right now. Poor Dolph. Dolph is mid-card. He is the, he is the uh, undisputed mid-card champion. That's how I see it. Miss says, but only if his money is right and he still loves the sport, he can learn more on the indie circuit. This is what I'm saying. Like, Kofi Kingston, if he went to Japan, Kofi Kingston would probably be a god in Japan. He, he, he would be god-tier in Japan. They'd love him. Because the way he has such a marketable look and he would do very well. He would do very well in Japan. And if you give him a couple of years in Japan, then bring him back, then it would be it would be better for him. I think in the WWE right now, as much as people like Kofi, he's not serving any legitimate purpose other than getting jobbed out to Rusev. No purpose whatsoever. Cranberry Kid says, yes, I like Kofi, but they aren't doing shit with him. Drop everyone. Bring back John Morrison. Uh, JTG, rest in peace, JTG, says Rey Mysterio. Val says, I'm not much of a Kofi fan. Dolph is a mid-card jobber, and Kofi's gotten lazy to me. I, I think I think what the problem, like I said, with Kofi Kingston is that he's he, he has all the tools, but he has Shelton Benjamin syndrome, where super athletic African-American performer, but you don't go beyond being super athletic African-American performer. It's like, dude, when you're not on TV, go take some acting classes. Go learn how to how to cut good promos. That's all it is. 
De Silva, I just thought of something insane. Dolph Ziggler versus Kevin Steen. Yes. But in all seriousness, I'd like to see, and Jim Ross has talked about this before. It's like you're CM Punk, not on TV. Daniel Bryan, not on TV. The Rock, part-timer. Um, Brock Lesnar, part-timer. Excuse me. Ric Flair, part-timer. Again, guys that take up a lot of TV. If you can't work the crowd and get over on your own, then you got nothing. I'm sorry to say it. It's like a lot of these guys, they don't go beyond doing what they got to do. And it's funny because Danny DeMonto, when he was on, when he was on here um, a couple of weeks back, he was talking about guys that are backstage playing video games instead of watching tape and learning how to get better. And the way I see it is, there, like Kofi Kingston, he definitely, as good as he is in the ring, he needs improvement from characters from a character development standpoint. And with that said, a lot of these wrestlers that aren't that are on the cusp of being great, they should really focus on what they're not good at and get better. Period. Kofi, your promo work it sucks. Go take some acting classes. Maybe take some improv classes. Become a better performer. If your claim to fame is that you win the WWE Video Game Challenge at WrestleMania and people talk about that more than any sort of a title reign that you've had, that's a fucking problem. If people care about Kofi Kingston because he wears cool ring gear and nobody talks about when was the last time he won a title, that's a big fucking problem. You know, it's like, it's like oh, Kofi Kingston has awesome ring gear. Great. Very good. Val makes a, a, a valid point. HBK said it once, get better at hiding it. It's true. It, it's like, it's like yo, go out there and improve the area of your gimmick that sucks. It's like what they were talking about. People, I remember people were really, really annoyed about um, Chris Hero because Chris Hero was told to get into good shape and whatever he did or he didn't and they cut him loose. Here's here's where I stand with regards to uh, ring work, body 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 conscious Im- body image, and promo work. If you're gonna be on television 280 days out of the year, your job is to not eat three chalupas and four Doritos Locos tacos. Your job is to eat a hardcore fucking salad and some grilled chicken. Same thing. If your promo work sucks. Go take some improv classes. Go take some stand-up classes. Go take some acting classes. Get better. Unless your name is Daniel Bryan or Chris Benoit or CM Punk or any mat technician whose ring work can hide their their mic work until they get better at it, there's no there's no way around it. Like CM Punk, his mic work, everybody said his mic work was suspect, which I do not agree. I always felt CM Punk's mic work, even a ring of honor, was leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. Daniel Bryan, same thing. His mic work needed a little work, but once he learned the WWE style, he was ready to rock and roll. And De Silva makes a good point. Do what Heyman did with ECW. Hide your weaknesses and showcase your strengths. And it's true. Look at Rhino. Rhino is a great example. I loved Rhino in ECW. When you look at Rhino, you're not going to get a million-dollar promo. What you're going to get is gored through a fucking table. What you're going to get is a pile driver off the second rope. 
You're not going to get stellar ring work. You're going to get four-star ass whoopings. That's what you had. You know? That's that's pretty much how it is. There are certain guys that if their mic work sucks, it's forgivable because they're better elsewhere. Elsewhere. Like Bad News Barrett. Bad News, Bad News Barrett, when he was part of the Nexus, he was okay. But now he's he's grasped a gimmick that works, and he's pretty much grown into that gimmick. And he makes it work. You know? Jay says there are too many wrestlers on the roster. Wrestlers are getting lost in the mix. You know, Jay, you bring that up, but you also got to think. You have three hours of Raw. You have two hours of SmackDown. You got one hour of main event. You got NXT. So think about it. Three, three for SmackDown. And uh, three for Raw, two for SmackDown, that's five. An hour for main event is six. Uh, Two hours or an hour for NXT, let's go two hours NXT, that's eight. You have eight hours of programming. You have plenty of time to get people on TV. If you spent more time on the wrestling and less time recapping something that happened ten minutes ago, like how many times did we need to see uh, Seth Rollins betraying the shield. How many times did we need to see that? Every time that they showed that, that's three and a half minutes that you lose. Three and a half minutes that you lose on a recap can be dedicated to a decent match. That's it. Jay says three hours of Raw with one hour of wrestling. Yes. Think about it. You have three hours of programming. If you did two and a half hours of wrestling or two hours of wrestling and one hour of, of angle advancement. It's, you know, it's, it's passable. But again, this is, this is the kind of thing that really gets under my skin. Everybody talks about the, the lack of a success rate for, for some of these guys, but some of these guys, they're not even doing anything to become better. That's it. Like drew McIntyre, drew McIntyre. Like I said, damaged goods. He had no chance in hell. Jinder Mahal, same thing. He had no chance. No chance in hell because, again, WWE doesn't know how to book ethnic wrestlers. Not only do I say that with Japanese wrestlers, but I say that with any wrestler that's not American in any shape, way, or form. Otherwise, you're getting shit on. And, you know, it's it's funny because Jay says that's not the wrestler's fault that the company's selling themselves. Here's Here's the thing. I don't even blame the company. I blame the company for misusing and mismanaging their talent, but I blame the wrestlers for not trying to make themselves stand out and be noticed. That's all I'm saying. And to a degree, yes, it's it's a it's a two-way street. But I do feel that in in this instance, let's look at these 11 performers, and I'm going to go down the list and I'm going to tell you. Yoshi Tatsu, creative fucked him over. He had no chance. Evan Bourne when you snitched out Randy Orton and R-Truth for smoking weed, you did yourself in. Brodus Clay, you did nothing to become better in the ring. It was okay. Every time you were out there, it was okay. You never did anything to be bigger than you should have been. Uh, Camacho. Camacho, he came out with Hunico when, they, when he was on the lowrider bike. Other than that, they... You know, he he had nothing going for him. He had nothing to make him stand out. He wasn't super jacked. 
He wasn't a, a cruiserweight or super athletic. He was just the son of King Haku. Okay, that's great. That's your pedigree. What else can you do? Um, Teddy Long, the guy's been in, in WWE for, for as long as I can count. I think I grew up watching Teddy Long. I remember when he used to do the five-minute white boy challenge with Rodney Mack. That's that's how far back I you know I remember Teddy Long being involved. Then Kurt Hawkins, he went from being with the Major Brothers with Zack Ryder, and now all of a sudden you know that he had one good match with Neville and then he was out. Then Oksana, like I said, the minute you broke Naomi's face, it was it was a matter of time. Uh, going up the list, you know, you talk about Jinder Mahal. Like I said, they didn't know what to do with him. This is what it is. When you weigh out which guys had any opportunity to be successful away from the company, pretty much the bulk of them had strikes against them. Now, it's funny because Cranberry Kids, how did Darren Young survive? A couple of reasons. Darren Young survived because he's a, he's a solid worker. And number two, the uh, he, he there is diversity at play. Not only that, but I do feel that given... Uh, their Be A Star campaign and WWE's necessity and and their want to become a part of mainstream culture, Darren Young is going to be a, around for quite some time. That's how I see it. I think Darren Young is going to be a guy that's going to be around for quite some time because he's a great ambassador for the company. You know? That's... Jay says it's rare. It's rare wrestlers come up with their own gimmicks. They don't allow them to do that. Creative gives them shit and expect gold. It's true. Creative gives them shit and expects gold. But Jay, tell me if I'm wrong in saying that if you know your your mic work is shit, then you should be taking those to- those days that you're off and taking improv or acting or whatever and becoming better. Am I wrong? Same thing with same thing with your ring work. If your ring work isn't good, then you need to watch more tape. Then you need to work with more guys behind the scenes to get better these are these are things that you can remedy sure you may still get released but at least there no one is saying that you didn't try you know but think about this i do i do the show three hours once a week and when you go back to early episodes of my take radio if you listen to episodes one through maybe 10 or one through 15 there was a lot of you know there was a lot of 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 work that needed to go into becoming a better a better performer even for this every part of this needed continued improvement and i'm still learning every week every week i'm still reading every week i'm still trying to work more in front of being in uh getting comfortable in front of the camera more and i'm trying to do more stuff i'm trying to put out more audio because again it's 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 something i feel that i'm not at, at the top of my game and this applies to wrestlers now, Jay says some guys are built to do that. Some guys don't. That's why managers and valets are given to these types of wrestlers. It's true. And and in that in that respect, sure. But if you're not good on the mic and you're still work and you're working at it and you can't get good at it, but you're a good performer, then you absolutely need a manager or a valet. I agree 100%. But if you're not trying to make yourself better or make yourself noticed and you get fired, it's like when you're trying to get a raise. Don't don't complain that you don't get a raise if you don't work and get noticed to get that raise. Some people get the, the basic 3% raise. Some people won't get the 5% raise. The people that are getting the 5% raise are the motherfuckers that are getting 
noticed. The three percenters are the guys that just punch the clock and do what they got to do. And that's fine. But then you got to ask yourself, do you want to be a three percenter or a five percenter? Because believe you me, I want to be a fucking five percenter every chance I get. That's all I'm saying. But again, these guys, they'll bounce back. There's plenty of promotions that'll pick them up, whether it's Ring of Honor, whether it's, you know, uh, PWS or or Jersey Pro or J- or Japan or Jeff Jarrett. There's plenty of outlets. Jay says, practice doesn't make perfect. I can practice to play the drums for years, but I'm not coordinated and clumsy, so I will never play like Dave. But I, I can never play like Dave Grohl. Okay, yeah, practice does... Uh, let let's 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 dig into that a little bit. Practice doesn't make perfect. That's fine. But again, if you have if you're not, if you're not giving it a hundred percent, and you get the boot, then it's because they had nothing for you. But if you're not looking to improve those holes of your game and you get the boot, then you're partially to blame. That's all I'm saying. Like, I, of course, you're never going to be perfect. But using your analogy about the drums, it's like. If you want to learn to play drums, and yeah, you're not going to play drums like Dave Grohl, but you know you're, you're, you're going to get better, you're going to stay on it. Nobody's saying that you're going to learn to play drums as good as he does, but that doesn't mean you're going to be completely, completely shitty at it either. And this is what I'm saying. Don't be completely shitty. And that's what happens. And Kofi Kingston's a great example of that. Yeah, your mic work isn't great, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't improve on it because your athleticism isn't going to get you too far for too long. John Blade says can't wait to see Jinder on the street with a sign that will job out for food here's here's the funny thing Jinder Mahal is a very serviceable heel the only problem is that the reliance on the racial overcoats was part of his uh, was used to his detriment I think Jinder Mahal is a is a pretty solid worker he never set the 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 ring on fire but he was all right Jay says, Bret Hart was shit on the mic, so Creative gave him short interviews and less mic time. They knew his weakness and didn't expose it. True. That is true, but Bret Hart is such a rare breed. It's it's crazy. Bret Hart is such a, a rare breed because Bret Hart, he, he was, we were, using Bret Hart as an example, it's because during Bret Hart's era, we were still using the Paul Heyman school of booking, which was, hey, don't expose weaknesses. WWE, it's like, yo, I want to be on TV. All right, fuck it. Here you go. Like, like here before we we close it out, let's look at um, Titus O'Neil. Titus O'Neil said, "Hey, I want to go solo. I got this idea for my character. It's gonna be great." Creative said, "Go out there and make it work." Titus O'Neil did not need to go out there and be solo for any particular reason, but he figured, "Fuck it, I'm gonna go out there and do it." And Creative said, "All right, but if you fail, it's on you." It's, it's crazy, but like in Titus O'Neil's case, there was no necessity for him to try and go solo because all he does now is get jobbed out left and right. At least him and Darren Young worked well together, and they were a serviceable tag team. Plus, I felt that the, the primetime players had a tremendous upside that was not used by creative. But again, I can beat that up for, for hours on end, but I really wanted to kind of get into those releases and talk about that. Um, I did want to close out with this. WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, do yourselves a favor, 
watch each of them objectively and you'll see that there are certain things that each promotion does right and things that each promotion does wrong there's there's no there's no clear-cut formula for success and please don't misunderstand and i've had a couple of people reach out to me about this i am not a jaded wrestling fan on the contrary i am a casual and opinionated observer that sees certain aspects of things that require improvement that's all it is period so Val says, uh, funny thing about Bret Hart is that honestly, looking back on it, he was an okay overall wrestler. Val, you know what's funny? You know how many people say that to me now about Bret Hart years later? Like, they're like, yo, I watched Bret Hart matches, and he was he was all right. He wasn't this, this, this amazing wrestler. He was okay. That's all it was. Interesting as it is, but I watched those matches, and I'm like, wow, he, he, was, he was good, but it was like, eh, it was all right. Jay says Titus O'Neil could be a member of the Horsemen. Miz, Ziggler, Batista, and O'Neil. That wouldn't be bad, especially because Batista, I think, helped Titus O'Neil get into the business. That wouldn't be a bad stable. I could live with that. Maybe put O'Neil and Batista as a tag team or Mizler and Zig- uh, Miz and Ziggler as a tag team. I said Mizler. That, that should be the name of their tag team. Um... John Blade says he didn't have the charisma to make his matches entertaining. Technicality isn't isn't always exciting. Da Silva closes it out by saying Hart was a four out of ten. Ah, that'll never ever get old. Anyway, as I said, uh, wrestling. Do yourselves a favor. Watch as many different promotions as you can. There's so many other ones out there. Dragon Gate, uh, Chikara, uh, any of the other smaller promotions, and you'll see exactly what I see. Like, I don't want nobody to think that I'm being jaded about the business or jaded about the industry. I love professional wrestling. It is it is my end-all, be-all. It is something I do constantly. I love this shit. But that doesn't mean that because I love it, I can't call out some of the bullshit I see. And Jay, Quark, Blade, and a lot of the MTR staff, they understand where I'm coming from. You know? That's all I'm saying. To close it out, Jay says, uh, Hart was great for his time compared to what we see now. He would be okay. There's, there is no argument there. Anyway, with that said, that is going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. As always, if you want to hear more, make sure to check out MyTakeRadio. Excuse me. If you want to see more, read more, and hear more, make sure to check out MyTakeRadio.com's wrestling section. Uh, we got a lot of great talent there. Quark, Blade, Jay Santee holding it down. Uh, Lots of great columns, lots of great content, so make sure to check those guys out. All right, let's get into some gaming. Gaming is uh, very, very interesting for this week. Um, There is a probability that there will be some OT for this week's show. I am going to bring Slick in whenever he's ready so we can talk a little bit about E3. So let's get that ball rolling. So this past week, of course, was E3, and everybody was chomping at the bit for all the great games that were announced. Uh, there were some notable titles from all major, from all three companies, from Nintendo, Microsoft, 
and from Sony. Um, I do feel that while those things were all, while the, all three companies had great showings, they weren't the most memorable showings in the game. On the contrary, what I felt when I watched a lot of the E3 press conferences is that people were trying to undo a lot of the shit that they weren't able to take care of initially. In Microsoft's case, they were trying to just get back in touch with their audience and really try to put the games front and center. Now, when you look at it from the standpoint of Sony, Sony was trying to go out there and just slay everybody. And Nintendo, Nintendo just wanted to come out there and have a good time, which they did. And to a degree, I do feel that Nintendo, and some of you guys may disagree, I felt that Nintendo, in terms of just making the fans happy, succeeded more than Microsoft or Sony. Sony and Microsoft showed off a lot of stuff, but Nintendo just made fans feel happy. So let me bring Slick in, and we're going to break it down a little bit and get into some of the stuff that happened on at E3's 2014 event. Slick, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? Dude, E3 was interesting, and you know I want to go through it with you, and I want to kind of start with the company that got the ball rolling, and that was Microsoft. What did you? How did you feel about Microsoft's overall presence at the event? Because to me, I felt Microsoft was just trying to do everything that they couldn't do last year, which was make the games the central focus, but they really, they were playing it a lot safer than they should have. A lot of the standbys that we know were front and center. We knew we were going to see some Call of Duty. We knew we were going to see some Halo. We knew we were going to see all that. But also, what Microsoft did was that they kept everything very, very tight. In other words, hey, here's the new games. Here's what they got to offer. Can't wait to let you guys play them and try them out. And that was it. It was almost like they said, let's keep it as as concise and to the point as possible because we don't want people to start uh, referencing shit that we did last year. Do you agree? Yeah, honestly, what I feel about Microsoft's presentation, like I didn't see the actual conference, but I, I've been watching like the trailers and going through what they presented. And what I really feel about Microsoft's offering E3 is... <laughs> that bad, huh? Because, I mean, it's like, yeah, it, it's Halo. It's, it, we got Halo. And guess what? We got some more Halo. At this point, you know what the fuck Master Chief is? Master Chief is Microsoft's version of Randy Orton. Interesting way to look at it. And um, what makes it's you say really, that? It's all he's overdone. He's boring now. Well, here's how I see it. Every company, every company, and I want I want to try and get Danny involved. I know I know Danny came into the chat. Danny, if you want to call in, 347-324-3541 if you want to get involved. Um, Danny and I discussed this in on, on day one MTR and 60 coverage. And the way I figured it is, you knew that, that Microsoft, Nintendo, Sony, they were going to bring out their heavy hitters, the guys that they stand by consistently for, for everything. Master Chief, as much as people complain about Master Chief, Master Chief is Microsoft's Mario, period. So to not see Master Chief at E3 is a shocker, would have been a shocker to me because he is that. He is Mario. He's just a more jacked up Mario with a gun. Instead of a Koopa, he has a gun. You know, that's that's what it is. He is the mainstay of the organization. I agree on that. And it's like, that's part of the problem. See, Mario is a visible character. Literally, you see Mario. 
We not only don't see meth for two reasons. One, because of the damn helmet. And two, because he's a character in a fucking first-person shooter. Right. It's like your mainstay... Your mainstay is a faceless character that could literally be anybody because when you play as him, all you see is fucking hands. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this in in a, in a different direction. Tell me, tell me if you feel this is right or wrong. Master Chief is a character that has a wealth of story, but they figure that by keeping it as basic as possible, people will continue to remain enamored with Halo for everything that it was when it first came out. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, and the people that love Halo are going to continue to love Halo. Right. I, unfortunately, am not one of those people. I I have backed two Microsoft consoles and never been a Halo fan. I'm not trying to shit on Halo. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I'm saying it's not for me. And personally, the type of game that Halo is, I think it's a really, really poor choice for Microsoft to make Master Chief their Mario. Well, the the way I see it, Hmm, everybody's saying that your volume is low. I don't know if that's me or... Hmm. Hold on a second, guys. Hold on a second. Is it me or is it slick? Not 100% sure. If it's me, I'll get off this, this headset. I don't know. It seems like the levels are... Now? Yeah, your levels seem fine. I mean, for those of you that are... The Mixler feed, he sounds perfect. Yeah, I don't know. I think it might just be... Hold on a second. Uh... I'm glad these guys bring all this stuff to my attention because maybe that should help a little bit, bring it up some. Anyway, the problem I I feel with this is that when you look at Master Chief and Mario and even Nathan Drake is a great example, you realize that to come to E3 after launching a new console, these characters need to be in your pocket. Like, here's the thing that angered me about E3. Everybody's like, oh, you know, we're going to see Halo and... Master Chief, more Master Chief bullshit. These were the same motherfuckers that when they announced the Halo collection were going ape shit. Ape shit. People were going fucking banana. Oh my god, Master Chief, fuck. And it just I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to tell these people, hey, six months ago you were shitting on another Halo game. When Halo 5 was announced before E3, everybody was was bullshitting, you know? Yeah. And, again, it's like, you got to be one way or the other. If you're a Halo fan, you got to be a Halo fan. If you're not, don't fucking play like you are. I'm not a Halo fan. I'm not trying to show on Halo. I'm just not a Halo fan. And I'm saying I think it's a bad a bad choice to make Master Chief your mainstay because he's a character. Like you mentioned Mario. You mentioned Mason Drake. These are characters with two things, faces and personalities. Right. Master Chief is a guy in a fucking battle suit who can't see his face, and he doesn't really talk, so it's not like he doesn't have a personality, but the game itself doesn't get to present a personality. That's no. why I think he's a shitty mascot. Well, yeah, I think, I think let's, let's, like, let's look at this. We saw Sunset Overdrive. Everybody was, oh, it looks really good, blah, blah, blah. I thought it was okay. You know, uh, Halo... It looks like a piece of shit. <laughs> And you know why it looks like a piece of shit? Because it's made by the people that presented Resistance. Resistance 1, 2, 3. Beautiful, brutal, fucking bloody game. Right. Again, first-person shooter, but it, it, was, it had a story. Right. Sunset Overdrive looks like, I don't know, it looks like a cartoon version. of It looks like Halo mixed with that, that freaking Squid game from Nintendo. Oh, my God. 
Here's 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 one thing, and and this is you know we saw Sunset Overdrive, we saw Halo, Rise of the Tomb Raider was probably one of the better gems that they showed. But let's be realistic, you know that shit's gonna be multi-platform. Don't even act like it's not. Of course it is. You know, like don't don't play that game, guys. Come on. And it won't even be a kind of exclusive. Well, and then you know they go, oh well, we're gonna we're gonna have a little fun with Super Ultra Dead Rising Three Arcade Remix Hyper Edition, and I'm like, oh thanks guys, thanks thanks for being in on the joke, which is fine. I have no problem with that, but you're not you're not blowing my mind. And then of course I gotta give you kudos because you said, yo, another Crackdown is getting announced. You said it. You're like, yo, that shit's coming, and sure as shit, there it is. I got words on that too. Go ahead. The first going back to um, the, the whole, uh, what do you call it, the whole Dead Rising thing. I don't, I don't know why anybody's surprised that a Super Ultra Deluxe <laughs> remix is coming out. Who makes Dead Rising? Capcom. Duh. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> now, like... you asked me a couple of months ago what would get me to buy an Xbox One. And my answer was... Go ahead. I'm asking you. Shit, I don't fucking remember. I can barely remember. I can barely remember what I had for breakfast this morning. (laughs) Yeah, you did say another crackdown. Yes, that is true. But but now I have to go back on my words for the moment. Why? Because Because they didn't show me crackdown. They showed you a tech demo. Fucking trailer. Well, it's funny because Jay says boss is not jaded about wrestling, but he sure as hell is jaded about video games. Here's it's not even jaded about video games. It's that being in this industry. And Danny can attest to this as as well. I am not a journalist. I don't pretend to be one. I don't say I'm a journalist. I am an opi- I am an opinionated observer. I am the guy that likes to sit outside of the fish tank, and when the fish don't swim around enough to keep me interested, I like to stick my hand in and shake around the water. That's it, just to see what they do. This is how I feel about the gaming industry. The gaming industry, we are at, we are one pretty much almost a year removed from console launches for both Sony and Microsoft. And at the end of the day, we did do that and we did get those launches, but the games that are being showcased again remain very safe. Because when you're talking about very safe, you realize that very safe gets you guaranteed money. You get what I'm saying? Like another crackdown, love it or hate it, people are going to buy it, very safe. Another Dead Rising, it's an established franchise, very safe. Now, when we start talking about things like, you know, Sunset Overdrive and, you know, Sunset Overdrive gets attention, but it's not going to get the type of attention that's going to make you want to buy the console. On the contrary, I felt Tom Clancy's The Division looked more promising as just a brand new IP even though it's typical Tom Clancy, at least it was something new. You know, but think about it. Fable Legends. The vision looks fantastic, but, but I'm not going to buy it because, right. again, it's probably one of those online-only games, which I fucking hate. Well, t- listen, Forza Horizon, an established universe. Fable Legends, an established IP. Dance Central Spotlight, an established IP. Assassin's Creed Unity, an established IP. Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, an established IP. You see what I'm saying? It's like, hey. Microsoft took no chances. Th- thank you, but you want to know why they took no chances? Because they screwed the pooch with the fucking launch of the Xbox One. So they're like, shit, we got to give these guys they stuff. They screwed the pooch with the launch of the Xbox One because instead of giving us some games, they gave us sports, sports. TV, and sports. NFL and cable at the same time. Listen. 
I, I, I like the snap. I, I like the snap functionality. Is it going to make or break my enjoyment with the system? No. Again, all these features, you want to get my attention? I got two words for you, and I've talked about this before. Backwards compatibility. And you know who's who's mentioning it in, in liberal sprinkles? Sony. Because PlayStation Now was announced. And what is Sony doing? They took a couple of more gambles. They took a couple of more risks, and they made people say, well, fuck, Sony's got some hot shit. Right? Hey, you don't even need a console. Thank you. It's a controller and a little box. That's cheaper than the Wii U. Yep, and you can play PS3. And again, here's here's the beauty of that little box. Everybody's like, oh, you know, it's another shitty peripheral. Here's the problem. Anybody who's going to buy a PS Vita, not happening. But a PS TV will sell, and I'll tell you why. Because you'll be able to expand your gameplay experience into another room without detracting from the enjoyment on the existing console. A great example. Let's take Jay. Jay has, you know, Jay has a, y- a young daughter. Let's say she wants to watch Netflix on the PlayStation 4 and he wants to play a game. He can flip the game, flip the the PS4 on and she can watch Netflix on that and he can go on on the PlayStation TV and play a PS3 game or if he's got a Vita collecting dust, he can do that. And I'm sure that Sony's going to continue to enhance the functionality of that small box, you know, Oh, as, as it starts moving forward, what Sony succeeded with that launch by announcing that little box is that they told Apple TV, Google TV, Roku, all these set top boxes that, hey, we know what the fuck you're doing and we got something for you. And it's true. And you mentioned Jay letting his daughter watch something. Not only can he let her watch something, he can go play his game. Right. He can go play something that's not appropriate for her to be watching. Very good. While she watches a little cartoon. And it's true. Danny brings up, you know, Chromecast isn't doing that well anyway. You know what the problem is with Chromecast and all these set-top boxes? And, I'm, and I've talked about this before, and you'll, you might agree, you might disagree. I always say that we are dealing with a lot of redundancy, and people don't realize that. Why would you need another set-top box if your Xbox One can play Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, and everything else? Your PlayStation 3 can play Netflix, Hulu, Redbox, whatever the fuck else you want. Hell, you can go on your browser and watch porn if you feel like it. You don't even got to get up. Shit, for half these people now, even if you don't have a console, your TV can do Netflix, Hulu, Dude, you know how much redundancy I have? Every one of my consoles plus my TV play all that shit. Do I need it? No. But this is what happens. Um, these dedicated set-top boxes, they got to take it the other way, and they got to allow people to play games on them so that people can do more. Sony's just reminding everybody, hey, we're going to do what we do best, which is give you games, but we're going to give it to you in a piece of hardware that is so cheap that if we want to expand on it, we don't even have to work hard. These are the facts. Like, if you have a PlayStation Vita and you want to play the games on your TV in another room, you don't even got to worry about it, which is insane. Do I think that it's the end-all, be-all? No, but Sony at least showed us something that wasn't very expensive, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't hurt anyone. You get what I'm saying? Like a pet project. Especially that bundle they put together. What was it, like 120 with the, the device? Yep. A controller with right there, that's 60 bucks for the controller. Right. What was it? The memory card? The memory card and. and, and uh, go ahead. And Lego, the, the movie game, which yep. was another 60 bucks. There you go. 
And this is what I'm saying. Which so means you basically get the damn peripheral free. Basically. But the thing that gets me is that Microsoft, super safe. Sony kind of branched out. And Nintendo just came and wowed us with their IPs that everybody knows and loves. But what they did was they took them and they set they, they started harnessing the power of their hardware, which is what we were talking about with the PS3 and people putting out games like Uncharted and God of War. The developers, well, at least, hold on, let me correct myself. Nintendo's internal development team realized that there was a lot more juice that they could squeeze out of that system versus you know, doing something different. Like when they showed that open world Zelda game, my eyes fell out of my fucking head because I was like, really? That's on, that's on that system. But that's because again, they re it reinforced. That's why I kept telling people. Yep. Nintendo reinforced. People keep underestimating the Wii U. But the problem with the under, the underestimating of the Wii U is that we saw all these great titles and we, and we, we fell in love with the system. But, and I stress this to the utmost degree, you showed us a lot. Don't let us wait a year between things. You get what I'm saying? Well, most of those big titles did say 2015, so you're not seeing them this year. Right, you're not getting but, them this year. I mean, you have stuff coming out this right. year. Right. I'll tell you right now, you know, and we were joking about this, Splatoon got my attention because that looks like a game that you could play with a group of people that is so fun. It looks so amusing, and so it it, lo it falls right into what Nintendo is known for, you know, innocence and, and, and competitive gameplay without really rocking the boat. You know, like, they're not... They're not yeah, it's a, it's a, go ahead. It's mindless fun without violence. Yes, and and that's fine, but the problem with Nintendo is that while they, that while they show us all that, they continue to lose these third-party developers. You know, instead... Well, they're starting to get them back. They they are, but think about it. We're not getting like don't get and and this is where depending on who you are, you're not gonna care too much. It's like oh, I want to play Destiny. Well, guess what? You're not playing Destiny on a Wii U. But if you want to play Destiny and you want to play games on the Wii U, you're gonna own both systems. The way I feel with Nintendo right. is that Nintendo should not be anyone's primary system. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry to tell you that you got to spend more money, but Nintendo should never, ever, 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 ever be a primary system. Ever. It should always be a secondary or, or a tertiary system. A, 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 third, a third wheel in the tripod. It should never be your number one system. Make, I hope they make you eat those words in the next console. I hope so. Dude, what do I tell you all the time? Dude, I want to be made to look like an asshole. You know what I mean? I want Nintendo to go, hey, hey, Rich, on my take radio, go fuck yourself. Here's what we got. I want to say that I... I want to throw two more daggers at Microsoft, though. Go ahead. And, and it's not the shit on Microsoft. It's just to say, you know, you really, really fucked up this time. First is going back to Crackdown because, like I said before, you, you asked me what would make you buy an Xbox One. And even though it's coming out, I'm still not rushing to buy an Xbox One. And it's not because the game's not out. It's because you literally didn't show me anything. Yeah, well. Crackdown 1, you know I was in love with. Yep. Crackdown 2, not made by the same people that made Crackdown 1, because that company's gone now. Yep. Crackdown 2 was fun, but it was a big disappointment from Crackdown 1. Right. So now you got this new Crackdown coming out. You showed me zero gameplay. You showed me a trailer, which means you did not show me Crackdown. <laughs> now I want to jump to another trailer. Oh, I, go ahead. I was going to play the... Uh, 
I was trying to play the the EA conference so I can see what they announced. But go ahead. Well, you know what they announced? They announced microtransactions. That's what they announced. <laughs> but the, the other trailer is Dead Island Two. Oh yeah, I knew now, you were super excited. Going crazy. Yeah, I knew you were pumped. And that was just the trailer. Right, but here's but that's made by the same company that made Dead Island One and and um, Dead Island Riptide. And, the, and it showed me that I'm going to be doing all the same stupid shit I did in those games. Right. Well, in the words of Damien Sandow, allow me to beg your indulgence for one moment. And that is, yeah, sure. Dead Island got your attention. And Dead Island is great. And it looked good. And the trailer was funny. And it was fantastic. All the right things that we have to say on air. But again, established IP. You know, it's like... Yeah, but... Looks good. The same people on on the um, on that on that note. The same people are also at least some of them are also making Dying Light, which is not an established IP. Right. Very similar to Dead Island, but I saw some some new gameplay of that, which you do a lot of things you couldn't do in Dead Island. I mean, for one, you can swim. Two, there's the parkour, and like you can go. They they, they made the point to show you that if you can see it, you can go there. Right. Like I want rooms for buildings. You can go there. You could these are things you couldn't do in in Dead Island. So it's got a lot of the similar gameplay, but there's a there's there's more to the game than what Dead Island previous Dead Islands have done. So Dead Island kind of going to be competing against itself in, a, in yep. a weird way. I could see that. Well, let, let me let me let me bring you th- this full circle. I want to throw out a crazy statistic that I believe it was Kotaku put out there. At E3, we saw more decapitations than female characters being leads in games. You, you Can you believe this? This was something that, that was a headline. I believe it was Joystick or Kotaku. You guys can look it up. Where we saw more decapitations than we saw more uh, female leads in games. Now, the reason I bring this up is because we continue to fight a gender gap across across the board for gaming. If... There's not enough female characters. It's a problem. If there's too many female characters and they get sexualized, it's a problem. The pro- I've, I've come to this conclusion when it comes to gaming. Gaming, and, and those of you that agree, great. If you don't agree, by all means, I'd love to hear your arguments. Gaming should be well past being about gender at this point. Period. It should be well past gender. It should be, it should be well past gender and sexual orientation. That's it. If you want to play a character whose significant other in an RPG is a male and a male, great. Female and female, great. Whatever the case may be, but please stop harping on the facts that there are, that there's gender inequality issues across the board. Because guess what? You're not telling us something we don't already know. And again, don't be an armchair activist. I don't want to hear on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever site that you're you're offended or upset because there's no female protagonists in games. You have a problem with it. The same way you jump online to get a free picture with Crash Bandicoot is the same reason why when you're there you should talk to developers. Hey, you know, why don't, did you guys ever give any thought to making the, char- the lead character female or making the lead character more empowered? Think about it. Bayonetta got announced on the Wii U. It was announced on the Wii U. They give you Bayonetta 1. Yes, the character, incredibly sexualized, incredibly, you know, not your average female character. But again, an empowered female character, a good-looking female character, and a very enjoyable game. 
And it just disturbed me that people talk about these statistics and they talk about all these gender issues and they get all pissed off. But it's just like, you know, they're 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 out there. These female protagonists, they're out there. These female, these empowered female characters. But at the end of the day, does it matter whether you play as a male or a female if you just want to play the game? You understand what I'm saying? You see me complaining that there's only about three brown people in the land of Hyrule. Dude, all three of them are evil. Th- dude, I don't listen. If I, if I don't I, care. Thank you. And it's funny because Danny goes, "Man, the gender discussion so over it." I'm I'm a hundred percent over it, but it just boggled my mind that you that people had to find something to harp on. You know what I want to harp on that that nobody talks about the fact that all of these conferences were geared towards getting more exposure for the games, and most of the time the gameplay that was shown wasn't even in game. You know, like yeah, you want you want to tell me Thank you. Like that's what that's what I want to talk about. You want to show me something, you want to impress me, show me a trailer and as you're showing the trailer, show a motherfucker playing that shit behind the screen. You know? Well, they stopped doing that because nobody believes that they're really playing a game. Right, but uh, but I'm talking about the, the controller's fucking wireless. Come on stage, be like, "All right, we're going to show you this game in action." Because, yeah, the trailers are beautiful, and they're fantastic, and I love them because they're part of my business. They're part of what we do as an entity, as somebody that brings information to our audience. But on the same token, I want to see you playing the fucking game. Just show me the shit. Danny says live demos never go well. This is true, but at least it's thinking a little bit outside of the box. Or at least show me the trailer and go, hey, we're going to show you a little bit of the game in, in, in progress. Here's the trailer. Let's show you the game. You, even if it's five minutes or one stage, at least you can show it and, and people can talk about it proactively. Like when I went on the Nintendo live stream, when we were live blogging and Nintendo was playing each game, it was like Splatoon. Let's play it and go through it. Um, you know, uh, Miyamoto's uh, crazy games that come. I, I swear, Shigeru Miyamoto must sleep in a mountain of cocaine because your mind has to be incredibly out there to come up with the shit you come up with. And, and this is what I'm saying. Each game got showcased. Each game got played. And it was it was it was a better centerpiece for the overall presentation. That's all I'm saying. I love trailers as much as the next guy. But, you know. In the words of in the words of Chris Farley, I could get a good look at a T-bone steak by sticking my head up a cow's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. You know, it's great. It's like, yeah, you know, you could show me this trailer and it's great, but I want to play the shit. It's insanity. Absolutely. At the end of the day, all I want is games that engage, games that make me happy to to do to do what I love without having to worry about people being bent out of shape because of the character's gender or because this person or that person, like EA. EA's press conference was sports, sports, The Sims, sports, Star Wars, and sports, and Battlefield. And you know what the best part was? They said, oh, hey, you can play Battlefield right now. Everybody can play Battlefield right now. And everybody was all of a sudden like, (sighs) EA does no wrong. And I just want to remind people, hey, Hey, just because they let you play the shit for free. 90 seconds. For those of you that are listening to the live broadcast, just a quick reminder that the live feed will go off air in about 90 seconds. According to the English lady, you can continue listening live at mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. And if you want the audio feed, mixler.com forward slash my take radio. Anyway, 
that you know EA's EA's press conference super safe with the exception of you know Dawn Gate and um, Mirror's 60 Edge. Seconds. All right, we got it. Sixty seconds. Mirror's Edge and you know uh, the game from Criterion, but everything else established IPs and they lured people in with the oh Battlefield Hardline. You like it? It looks awesome, doesn't it? Well, you can play that shit right now. EA didn't fucking wow anybody. They were just like, hey, by the way, this is available today. How was it? Am I wrong? EA, EA is basically a sports package. Yep. EA is the sports package on cable TV. Few, few other IPs. Yep. I felt I felt Ubisoft as a developer showed us more because Ubisoft at least said, "Hey, we got a lot of stuff that you recognize." But we also ten seconds. Ten seconds. We got it. Uh, you know, they showed us the division Rainbow Six, which was good. Again, established IPs, but at least Rainbow Six, we hadn't seen it in a while. And Assassin's Creed, as soon as they showed it, a, a couple of hours later, somebody complained that there weren't any female assassins. <laughs> Only been one female assassin. What the hell's a big deal? <laughs> she was on the freaking Vita. She, she's downloadable content now. Get yep. over it. Yep, but you know. Everybody talked about it. You know, the crew looked really good. Um, Shape Up looked promising for what it was. You know, Ubisoft, again, much like EA, very safe, but again, marquee titles that were, are going to sell a sizable amount of units. Like Just Dance 2015 is a no-brainer. It's like, oh, hey, new Just Dance, new music. It's like, okay, great. Like, you know, turn turn down for what? I'm going to dance in front of my fucking Xbox. Like, you know what I mean? Like, great. Thank you. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, yeah, great. Uh, Miley Cyrus, great. Wrecking Ball. Thanks. Like, I'm not, again, not being jaded, but I just want people to realize that everything that we saw while it was ahead of the curve wasn't ahead of the curve in a revolutionary stance. The way I felt about it is it was good stuff, but it wasn't like we were going to be talking about it for the rest of the month. It's something that we'll talk about until we forget about it and then talk about it a couple of weeks later. Yeah, because the only people that really took a chance are Nintendo. Nintendo, Nintendo, and Sony to a degree because they had they had some decent stuff. You know, um, they showed a lot, dude. Little Big Planet three, uh, Infamous First Light, which you know I know you're gonna want to share and, and talk about that. You know, they Infamous had some, First Light can kiss my ass. Wow, really? Yes, I just said that. Really? You know why Infamous First Light can kiss my ass? Please enlighten us. Infamous Second Son was a big disappointment. Infamous First Light is not moving forward. It's moving back. It's telling a story that happened before the event of Infamous Second Son. And guess what? We already know the fucking story because it was told to us during the game. <laughs> well, I felt I felt that Sony, for as strong of a showing as they had, they did throw some curveballs in there. Obviously, a remastered Last of Us, which, big shocker. You know, Diablo 3, big shocker. GTA 5 coming to next gen, big shocker. But Uncharted 4, they had to close out with it because that's what people were expecting. And Uncharted 4 can get away with a trailer alone because, one, you know the game's basically going to look like that because they did it with the PS3. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm mad at, you know, The Last of Us remastered because the game's not even a year old and there's really nobody that... That has a PS4 that needs it that bad because, especially with that new box coming out, you don't need a PS4 version. 
I really and felt. Rockstar, Go ahead. Rockstar really, really fucking pissing me off. Dude. <laughs> the PC version was a given. We knew from when the game was first announced that there was going to be a PC version. They said it. Right. But the PS4 and Xbox One versions are not necessary. It, it's double dipping, and they're completely ignoring their fan base. Even though they say you can bring your online character over from the PS3 or the 360 and you know use it on the PS4, the Xbox One, or the the um, the PC. Yeah, but you got to pay another fucking sixty dollars to do that. I tell you this: when we were talking about what would I buy the PS4 uh, to play. Obviously, um, Batman Arkham Knight, I would pick up because I play a lot of the single player stuff on, on the PlayStation console. Um, I like Entwined because it looked like a very therapeutic game for those days when I want to pretty much shoot everyone. So though, that, that felt like a very therapeutic game, much like Little Big Planet. Those were games that, again, they, they're not going to set the world on fire, but they're just so enjoyable, so innocent and so complete. The experience that, like I said, they got my attention. Little Big Planet Three entwined. Um, I really liked Let It Die. Let It Die looked fucking insane. It it, it felt like manhunt. Huh? What was that? They're saying that they can't hear me again. Huh? Hold on a second. I don't know. That's uh. I don't know what's up with these audio levels. Uh. I don't know. I think is it the Mixler feed? Hold on a minute. No, the mixer feed is clear. I guess it's the people listening on GFQ. I think maybe it's because something's going on 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 the GFQ side of things, guys. So if anything, you can watch the video and then listen to Mixler or mute it, whatever you see fit, until I figure out what's going on. Um, my apologies for that. Anyway, as I was saying, Let It Die looked incredibly awesome. It felt like Manhunt. It was gritty. It was violent. It was it was everything that we needed to get people's attention. Uh, the Order 1886 looked promising. Um, that, I feel, is a very niche title. Like People are going to get into it because they're trying to establish like a universe. It, it almost feels like the people that like... You know how people like steampunk? It, yeah. was, like, it was like that. Like, you know, you're trying to capture that type of an audience. The concept looked pretty cool, but out of out of all of Sony's offerings, Let It Die, Entwined, and Little Big Planet Three were were probably the ones that got my most attention. And of course, Uncharted is Uncharted; they can never do no wrong with that. So I was I was thoroughly impressed with what Sony had on the table. What got my attention with the Little Big Planet Three demo was that there were like it even said it on the screen there were three D glasses sitting there. Right. I'm like, does that mean that they're finally going to do a 3D update on the PS4? Which I'm hoping so. Right. Which I'm sure is coming. I wouldn't be. Sh- excuse me. I wouldn't be shocked. Well, I-, I hope so. As far as Let It Die, Sue 51 is a twisted bastard. It's, it's, his games oddly still have a niche market. Like not everybody yep. seems to buy them. Like I know tons of people that didn't play. Um, what's the name? Lollipop Chainsaw. Yep. And. Um, this new game that's coming out, which I can't even remember because this girl's name is Japanese, and it's, it's the, I can't remember, it's like this girl's longest day where she's running away from, it's like psychedelic, a psychedelic acid trip or something. Right. It's coming out for PS3. It, it's already out in Japan. Like, I think it might have come out here, but I don't think so yet. That game looks crazy, too. It looks like, it literally looks like Strider on acid. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> take that for what you will. It looks like the, the new um, Strider game that recently came out, if you were, you know, very, very high. Well, I want to I wanna switch gears a little bit 
and go into Nintendo. Nintendo's offerings, uh, we saw Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, Star Fox, uh, games for the eShop, Sonic Boom, Splatoon, Hyrule Warriors, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker was the game that probably made me want to buy a Wii U. Yep. So great because it's Toad. He can't jump. You got to use strategy, but it's so, again, so innocent, so, so simplistic, but so right. You know what I mean? Like, that's a game you could sit there and mindlessly play for three hours and not even know that three hours have passed. You know what? I'm going to correct you on one thing you said. What's that? Simplistic. That game is going to cause a lot of people to break controllers. Yeah, but simplistic in the sense that the execution of it, you know, it's not super in depth, you know, like, all right, you got to get out of this level and you got to get this star navigate as best as you as as best as you see fit. Yeah, it's going to be controller breaking. But it's again, the simplicity of the concept. You know what I mean? Escape the level. That game was just was just beautiful. But the game that really caught my eye was the um, the, the Yoshi's Woolly World game. That game, yeah, you know, that that game looked just amazing. It definitely did. I was I was really impressed with that. Um, like I said, uh, New Legend of Zelda. Everybody, you know, creamed in their shorts for that. Uh, Mario Party Ten, which is to be expected. Mario Maker. I for what I saw with Mario Maker, I continue to say I'd love to see Excite Bike done the same way with next gen graphics. I think it would be a great eShop game, and people could really get into it. Um, Super Smash Brothers Four again. We know we know what the deal is with that. Uh, showing off Palutena at the end was nice, and um, again, female protagonist. Everybody was happy with that. Um, we got some Kirby action. Um, every, everything that we saw was exactly what it should be from Nintendo that we would expect. The only thing that was out of left field was the amiibo thing. And that was because the Amiibo execution can be very, very beneficial to Nintendo, but they got to get totally invested to make it work, you know? Like, you can't just release Amiibo and, funny, and, though, and try like, it out. You, you said something last year yep. that basically became Amiibo. Right. When we were talking about Pokemon. Right. And that's what I'm saying. But But here's the thing. If you're going to release this brand new this brand new service, this brand new peripheral and all these figures, you you guys can't pull the plug on it 6 months later if it's not setting the world on fire. You have to invest time into it. Absolutely. Cuz there's a lot of legwork. You know, getting getting Zelda, but getting I, I Mario. Want to, I want you to pull up a website. Go ahead. Just go to gametrailers.com. I can probably go there, but I probably won't be able to play it. Oh, no, no, I don't want you to play anything. I'm just going back to how Nintendo's taking chances paid off. Okay. Because this isn't, you know, sales. This is, you know, social. This is what the people that watch E3 think. Look on the right. Look at the G-Deck, the social score. And right. look at the consoles. Hold on. And look at the position. I'm looking at it now. It's loading. It's a little slow. Uh, G-Decks, consoles, PlayStation 4, Wii U, then Xbox One. Exactly. Yep, it's true. And look how much look, look how far ahead we is over Xbox One. Yep, a, sub, a substantial it's a barely, substantial lead. Barely beneath PlayStation Four. It's a substantial lead, but here's here's what I gotta say. All the games that were announced: uh, The Legend of Zelda Open World, Splatoon, Hyrule Warrior, uh, Warriors, Captain Toad, uh, Pokemon Omega Ruby, and Alpha Sapphire. Which I kind of wanted to see where you stood with that because. 
a lot of people were excited, but a lot of people kind of felt that they were being played. No, we're not being played. Okay. Because you got to understand something. At first, I was like, uh, another another remake. Right. But the remakes, the remakes fall in line with the new gen game in the sense that Pokemon X and Y, there's about 721 Pokemon now. Right. I might be off by one or two, but there's approximately <laughs> 721 Pokemon now. And you can't get them all even if you own X and Y. Right. These other games basically are essential to, you know, doing the, the game's mantra of catching them all. Okay. Because there's only so much you can do with the last game as far as their compatibility with X and Y. Right. And Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, or if I'm backwards with that, whatever, the, um, these are meant to help the hardcore players catch them all. Right. So it, it's not a bad thing at all. I, I'm not mad at it at all. Because the people that really care about playing Pokemon are going to get it. And the people that never, there still are people who never got to play Ruby or Sapphire. Okay. Because at this point, you think about it, Pokemon's been around for over 20 years now. Right. Here's, here's... So you have a brand new crop of kids that are maybe watching Pokemon on TV right now and said, oh, what's Ruby and Sapphire? This is true. Well, here's here's where where I kind of want to bring it home. I just want to pluck some other gaming news out of here. Um, there, WWE 2K15 was discussed. They showed a banner for it at E3. Uh, one of the things that was at front and center is the fact that digital uh, developer visual concepts is going to be working with Ukes to have more control of the game. They're actually going to be using the scanning technology that they used in the NBA 2K series, which is going to allow them to get more accurate uh, more accurate wrestlers. Uh, right now, they've already scanned 90% of the in-game roster, so they're really going to be utilizing everything next-gen that they used in NBA 2K to make WWE 2K15 look as realistic as possible. Possible. You know, hair, skin, faces, ring gear. They also showed a demo for a different facial animations with John Cena. So they're really trying to step their game up. And I do feel that by utilizing the same technology used in NBA 2K, we're going to get a better product. And in addition to that, they also said that they've um, Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole will be recorded at the same time for commentary so that it can sound more natural. They're going to be providing 30 to 35 hours of commentary. That way they'll try to avoid as much repetition as possible. I think that this strategy is going to yield a a more complete game, but I also think that by going this route, you're going to add a level of realism that we've already seen at play with the UFC games. Um, I'm happy that they go for more realism. I just, I really think they need to do something with the control scheme because they just gone. They 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 want to give you a deeper game, but in doing so, I don't know. It's like for me personally, they they just really gone too far with the controls. I mean, back in the old days where you just you know you press some buttons, you grapple, and you fucking slam somebody. Right. And that shit worked to me. Okay. I'm not mad at the counter buttons or the block buttons, but they just do too much with it. Okay. Well, I'll say I'll say that WWE when they when they want to bring this to the next level using the scanning technology of NBA 2K you're going to get probably like i said the most realistic interpretation of the game to date i mean you know on the Absolutely. on the on the subject of 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 basketball games uh EA of course announced NBA live um live 2 2K15 or live 15 however you want to call it live 2015 and they also announced Madden 
And again, same things I've said before, established franchises, next gen graphics. This is where we're going to go with regards to promotion up until gameplay is shown like Madden. Madden is going to be Madden any way you slice it. When it hits stores August 26th, it's going to be the same thing we've expected from Madden, just better looking and more detailed. Same rules can be said for NBA Live. Same rules can be said for NFL 2K. Same NBA 2K, excuse me. Same things can be said for WWE 2K15. The only things that are going to be um, the keys for success for any of these games is the improvement of the overall experience. Until then, it's just going to be titles with 15 behind them, in my opinion. That's where I stand with regards to that. Now... You know, Arkham Knight being pushed to 2015, they did a good job showing off the gameplay, um, showcasing the Batmobile, and also reminding people that the PlayStation 4 will be getting uh, more exclusives. So, again, very subtle and very smart on the part of Sony to lock up certain titles to get more exclusivity for extending the shelf life of a certain game. I think that Sony was very smart in their execution of that. I just hope, I mean, because I saw it and it looked fine, but I really hope that they either limit the Batmobile combat or make it optional so that you don't have to do it. Because Batman fighting tanks, I don't know, it just it seems really weird to me. It's funny because Danny says in the chat, subtle, not really. <laughs> it's like, taking what Danny said, PlayStation, Sony's subtlety was about as subtle as a sledgehammer to the face. But... The, the beauty of the beauty of it was that even though, you know, based on how Danny views it, it wasn't as subtle. I did feel that they wanted to remind us that that, you know, Sony's exclusivity, even though it's a multi-platform game, is exclusivity from a content standpoint. With that regard, you know, I do feel that Sony did have the upper hand at the end of the day. And we talked about this before the game, the game, the the console wars are going to be dictated by the overall crop of games that are exclusive multi-platform games aren't going to mean shit what three or four extra levels you know an hour extra an hour or two of extra gameplay yeah that's all well and good but again it's still available on every console you know what i mean the console wars are going to be determined by games that are only exclusive to that and in that regard nintendo is leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else Gotta gotta call a spade a spade. Speaking of sequels, I do gotta say that you know Yoshinori Ono made sure to name drop Street Fighter by saying that Street Fighter Five is in the planning stages and that they're looking to you know utilize the next gen, the next gen architecture to bring that to the big screen, uh, you know to bring that to home console. Excuse me. And the fact is that while that's all well and good, we're still we still haven't got past the number four. And yeah, you want to talk about the number five to generate a buzz? Let's get past four first. <laughs> Well, I'm kind of mad that, uh, what do you call it, the the Guilty Gear XRD wasn't shown because that's what I really want to play. And I really, I'm still waiting for somebody, anybody to make a damn stick for the PS4. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that hasn't been done. I felt that Mad Cats was gonna should have been on top of that. I mean, I'm hoping that Mad Cats has some stuff at Consumer Electronics Week, and maybe that's something that I'll try and find out to see where they stand with that. Because it's true, I'm shocked that given that they're trying to do this, we haven't really seen um, any fighting sticks yet. But I also feel that that's gonna change once Mortal Kombat X hits 
uh, consoles. I mean, Mortal Kombat X, based on what was shown at E3, looks look, it looks incredible, looks decently promising. I think that they're that what they're trying to do is good with regards to just moving the series forward. But I also feel that the blood and guts can become a crutch if it's not used accordingly. You want to hear something crazy? Shoot. Last year, all through this year, I've been shitting on Killer Instinct, which you know is one of my favorite fighting games. Right. I want Mortal Kombat X. You want to know something funny? I um, when you get Killer Instinct, you get to you get the original Killer Instinct for free. So I was playing the original, and then John messaged me while I was doing working live blogs for E3, and he told me that TJ Combo was going to be in the new one. I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty awesome. And um, you know, it's like anything else. The fighting genre has ways of getting you involved where they sometimes don't need to do much. I mean, Mortal Kombat X did it because it looked graphically, you know, it was it was amazing. Now, even even if it wasn't graphically uh, ahead of its time, it was still going to suck people in because Mortal Kombat has a niche audience. That niche is pretty sizable, you know? Well, I, I, it's not even really the, the violence, the, the graphics so much. The, the the level of combat that they showed, it looks like it looks like Dragon Ball Z on steroids. I think they used a lot of elements that they used in Injustice, which again, not a bad thing because that's fine. But there were definitely a lot of elements that were tested out in Injustice that were being tested more so uh, with Mortal Kombat X. Again, I have no issue with it whatsoever. Uh, at the end of the day, as long as the gameplay is, you know, what we're what we're used to with Mortal Kombat, the, the margin of error is going to be very small. Like I said, as long as we don't get Freddy, Jason, and all these other characters, and you instead save that for another game, everything else is fine. You know, I have no problem with it. But to to you know bring the bring the gaming segment home, I kind of just wanted to do a kind of a speed round, just take um, all the keynotes, and I want you to give me. Uh, three titles from Microsoft that you would possibly pick up. I can't. You really can't, huh? That's crazy. Because again, I have to. I have to see Crackdown before I touch that. Okay. Nothing else. That's nothing else. That's exclusive to Microsoft piques my interest at all. Okay. I can. I can kind of go in a different direction. I, I, you know, I'm going to play the Halo Master Collection again, not making me jump out of my skin, but I'm going to play it. It's a, it's a given. Um, I'll probably play, you know, I'm going to play Crackdown again once we see some gameplay and probably the only other one is Forza because Forza, I always end up renting, you know, from Gamefly. So it's going to get played. So those are, those are three games out of the Microsoft keynote. I would probably be, be hard pressed to, to not skip, you know? Gotcha. All right, so switching gears, I don't know how you feel about EA. I know I'm picking up the UFC game next Tuesday, and, um, you know, the Battlefield Hardline demo I'll probably play if, um, you know, the, the birthday presents uh, yield a, a PS4. And, um, you know, I'll probably play Mirror's Edge just because, again, not as a purchase but as a rental. If anything, I'd probably buy Star Wars Battlefront just because I have a fond a fond experience from the previous Battlefront game. Um, EA, the last EA game I bought was B for Speed Rivals, so they've left a really nasty <laughs> taste in my mouth. Yes, and your opinion um, on Need for Speed Rivals, if people want to see that, can visit MyTakeRadio.com and you'll understand why Slick said what he said. If Criterion's making a game, I definitely want to see more of that. 
Right. And that's about it. Everything else is sports, 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 and sports games are boring, boring, boring. A dime a dozen. The same shit over and over again. Exactly. Ubisoft, Ubisoft, that Madden. Madden. Ubisoft got me with Rainbow Six because obviously uh assassin's creed you know my my fondness for the assassin's creed mythology so that's going to be a given for me and probably a toss-up between far cry and the crew as another game i want to try the crew has been something i've been waiting for since last year so that's definite right you know i'm not down with the assassin's creed but um after seeing the trailer i need to know again is that is, if unity is an online only game get skipped yeah, I can see that. I think I that. Can, go ahead. Somebody, I, I saw, I read an article today that actually said it best. It's like I played Assassin's Creed so I could play as this badass character that runs around in the shadows and kills people. Right. And now I'm not that badass guy anymore. Now I'm basically in a game. It's like well, they're just bar- like we're playing the wire. We're, we're well, they borrowed it from Brotherhood. Well, they brought they borrowed it from Brotherhood. I mean, you played Brotherhood, right? I know you was you did the bulk Assassin's Creed playthrough. I'm up to Brotherhood. I, I finished two when um when Second Son came out. Right. I literally finished Second Son. I finished two the day Second Son came out. Gotcha. Well, yeah. I mean, they're using they're using what the, a lot of the formula that made people like Brotherhood so much. So in that regard, I can understand what you're saying. I mean, I like. I liked Brotherhood. I like all the Assassin's Creed games. It's just the storytelling is what started to take a, a serious dive towards the end. Yeah, I mean, if it, like I said, if I can, if I have a choice to do a single-player campaign with online elements, I'll be fine with that. If they force you to play through the game with, with a bunch of people, then that's not the type of game I want to play with a bunch of people. I want to play, right. play Dead Island 2 with a bunch of people. I want to play a game like Dying Light with other people. Right. Not Assassin's Creed. Okay. So, but, um, as far as PS4, I gotta, you know, gotta have uh, the Order 1886. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of games that are only on PS4 because, like, Ubisoft's entire roster is obviously multi-platform. Multi well, the exclusives are Let um, It Die, Entwined, Killzone, Shadowfall, Intercept, Infamous First Light, Bloodborne, The Order, Little Big Planet Three, Last of Us Remastered, um, Uncharted Four, and that's it. So I guess it would be Let It Die and Uncharted Four because I'll, I'll play. I, I'm not gonna lie, I will play First Light. I, I still, <laughs> it's like especially for anybody who's played through that game and played through the um, the Paper Trail DLC. Right. You know what I'm talking about. They need to be going forward, not back, because. The end of the DLC, it, it makes for a much better composition of, of gameplay going forward, which I hope this is, if they're going to keep going with, with Delta's story, they, they need to in, you know, go there or definitely get that going with a, a sequel to Second Son. Okay. I would probably say uh, three games, Let It Die, Uncharted 4, and Little Big Planet 3. On the Sony side, I might get that too, but because I've never played a little big planet, honestly, just because it it seemed like it's it's so it, it seems like an endless game, and games like that just take up way too much of my time. Right, understandable. Um, last but not least, of course, Nintendo, and we can bring it home with Nintendo. Uh, by all means, please feel free to share your yours first. 
I pretty much want everything except for the <laughs> Hyrule Warriors. I got to admit, even that game looks interesting. Makes perfect sense to me. I would probably, I'm going to go, oh man, Splatoon, Smash Brothers, and probably, and probably it's a toss up between um, Toad and Yoshi's Woolly World. Gotcha. So let me ask you then if you could pick right now and it would just, you know, pop, pop right there in your hand. Would you ask for a PS4 or a Wii U? Uh, PS4. And the reasoning is because with your your PS Plus membership, you're going to start getting some of those benefits right away. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are, there are benefits that you get from from um, the Wii U where you don't have to pay anything extra. Right. Like, for example, like I said, um, I got Mario Kart and got... Wind Waker was it free? Right, but you but you know what my where my problem is with Nintendo? It's like I'll play them and I'll play them for a little bit. You know what I mean? But I'm not gonna go. You know, I'm not gonna go. Oh my god, I gotta I gotta buy this game because I'm gonna play it round the clock. You know, as crazy as that sounds. So in that regard, it's probably gonna be PS4 because it's just a progression, and I want to try and do more from a work standpoint. Uh, the Nintendo games are always going to exist. That's where I stand with that. Gotcha. All right, so that actually brings uh, all our E3 wonderfulness to a close, as well as our gaming segment for this week. Uh, there anything else you wanted to add? No, I'm good for now. All right, all right, man. As always, uh, thank you for the assist on the gaming this week. No problem, man. All right, bro. Peace. Peace. All right, so with that said, and that bit, that recap pretty much wrapped up let's get into this week's entertainment news and bring it home because uh we're already into 30 minutes of overtime so let's wrap this up shall we My Take Radio's MMA, uh, MMA segment, excuse me. <laughs> That's how I know it's getting late. My Take Radio's entertainment segment is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. Use our promo code RADIO15, RADIO15. It's good for 15% off the site through the end of June. Again, SuperheroStuff.com for all the latest and greatest superhero t-shirts, merchandise, belt buckles, backpacks, you name it, they got it. Again, promo code RADIO15. So... Last week, we were talking about Doctor Strange and the selection of a director, which was Scott Derrickson. Um, Now, it looks like we were talking about the director, Scott Derrickson, and we were talking about the rumor of Jared Leto as Doctor Strange. Well, as it turns out, there is a new name in the mix to portray the Sorcerer Supreme, and that is one Benedict Cumberbatch. Of course, you guys know Benedict Cumberbatch for his role in Star Trek Into Darkness, The Hobbit, and of course, as the legendary Sherlock Holmes. The other actor that is being considered is Tom Hardy, who many of you know for Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, and Mad Max Fury Road, which will be hitting theaters later this year. Now, if out of those three actors, Jared Leto, Cumberbatch, and Tom Hardy, I would probably go with Benedict Cumberbatch because he would bring a very, very uh, serious and just a classical portrayal to the Sorcerer Supreme. Otherwise, I would go... 
in the complete opposite direction and go with Jared Leto, who would probably bring something a little bit more unique and modern to the Doctor Strange character. Either one of those would suit me. I think Tom Hardy is just a, a big guy that is more at home being a physical presence versus being a Sorcerer Supreme. I mean, I can't look at Tom Hardy without thinking of, of Bane or uh, Bronson, you know, physical roles, not something along the lines of, of Doctor Strange. It just doesn't strike me. It's, you know, Tom Hardy is everything except Doctor Strange. That's all I'm saying. In some other news, Jeremy Renner kind of let the cat out of the bag that we will be getting a Mission Impossible 5, which I talked about a couple of months back that was going to happen, but now is a go. Jeremy Renner said that he's pretty much been, his schedule is pretty packed because he's doing Avengers 2, and then he's going to be doing Mission Impossible 5. The reason for this is because people were asking if he was going to be doing the next True Detective series, and he said that it's unlikely because his his schedule is packed with the Avengers 2 and Mission Impossible 5. I have to admit, the last Mission Impossible film was remarkably enjoyable. It, you know, it wasn't setting the world on fire, but it was a pretty solid action film. I think the chemistry between Renner Paula Patton, Simon Pegg, and Tom Cruise was probably the high point of the film. But again, it, it wasn't the it wasn't terrible. So it was highly enjoyable. I really liked it. So a fifth one isn't really gonna bother me because it's something that you pretty much are guaranteed. Now, in some other Marvel news, they finally got a director for Ant-Man. It is Peyton Reed who created the who was the director for the gem Yes Man with Jim Carrey. He will be taking over for the departed Edgar Wright, who left due to creative differences with Marvel, and Adam McKay, who originally was considered for direct for a director role, will be working on the film script. Uh, right now, Ant-Man is still scheduled to hit theaters July 17th, 2015, with Paul Rudd in the main role alongside Michael Douglas, Evangeline Lilly, Patrick Wilson, and Corey Stoll. Again, we'll see where it goes from there. Obviously, the Ant-Man project has led to a lot of issues. Me, personally, I continue to stand by the fact that I'd rather get a film with Black Panther or a film with Iron Fist than doing a film with Ant-Man. But again, that is just me. Box office-wise, I was really, really shocked by how well this film did, but The Fault of Our Stars took the number one slot, earning $48.2 million dollars followed by Maleficent at number two, The Edge of Tomorrow at number three, X-Men Days of Future Past came in at number four, A Million Ways to Die in the West came in at number five, Godzilla was six, Neighbors was seven, Blended was eight, uh, Chef was number nine, and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 slowly dropping down, now in the number 10 slot with an additional 1.9, bringing its total here in the U.S. to $196.3 million. So, We've been talking about all these other these great Marvel news and and these casting choices and these director choices. Well, for every good news, I'm afraid I've got some bad news, and that involves X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, Radar Online is reporting that Brian Singer could lose his directing job for X-Men Apocalypse due to the sex abuse allegations that they have currently been dealing with. Singer is currently talking with 20th Century Fox about the lawsuit and if he should still direct. Now, the thing is, this these um, uh, sexual abuse allegations definitely put a bit of a cloud over the release of X-Men Days of Future Past, especially considering how close the film was to release when these allegations came to light. Now, with the with the X-Men apocalypse being, you know, 
a, a given and a film that's going to require a lot of promotion, they really don't want the specter of these sex abuse claims to be a detriment or to detract from the film's success. So it's going to be very interesting. I mean, Brian Singer really does know how to do the X-Men justice. So I am curious to see what direction they are going to go in. And of course, once I learn more, I will be sharing the details with you guys. In some small screen casting news for Marvel's Daredevil series on Netflix, we have found our kingpin, and that is uh, the very talented Vincent D'Onofrio, who will be stepping in in the role of Wilson Fisk. As many of you know, Wilson Fisk was portrayed on the big screen by the late Michael Clark Duncan. Vincent D'Onofrio, is his work on Law and & Order and on countless other projects has made him uh, a standout, yet, yet very, very... Un- I don't even want to say he's an actor that people are seeking out, but he's just an actor that whenever he's on screen has a tremendous presence, and I think he's going to do a great job as the Kingpin. Uh, I'm curious to see what type of a physical transformation he's going to go through to assume the role of Wilson Fisk. I mean, the Kingpin, any way you slice it, is a very large, very imposing figure, so I'm curious to see what sort of training regimen what sort of movie magic is going to be used to make vincent d'onofrio embody the role of wilson fisk from an acting standpoint i think d'onofrio is going to do a tremendous job but in terms of having an overall physical presence that is where the interest truly lies so again once we start getting more news and hopefully we'll get some pictures we will be able to share that with you guys Now, I didn't see myself talking about gaming news in the entertainment segment this week. Of course, there were some things that were announced, including Powers, uh, the Halo uh, TV series, which will be on Xbox Live, Powers on PSN. Well, it looks like Sonic will be making the jump to the big screen as well. As of right now, it looks like superhero hype is pretty much the the leader with regards to the story, saying that Sony Pictures is going to be working Uh, to bring a CG version of Sonic. It's going to be a combination of CG and live action to the big screen. Uh, The Sonic character, I'm surprised it has taken this long for that character to make a jump to the big screen, but I will say that utilizing CG is probably the best bet and not going with something along the lines like they did with the very terrible Mario Brothers movie with the late Bob Hoskins. CG, when it comes to video game movies, is probably the way to go. And considering how well CG and live-action blended films like the Smurfs and Alvin and the Chipmunks have done, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Sonic and what kind of a story they're going to use to bring the Sonic mythology to the big screen. Now, the the CG and live-action, is it going to be Sonic's characters all live-action and maybe Dr. Eggman, Dr. Robotnik being human? Or is he going to be CG and Sonic going to be CG and then everybody else is just going to be the the human counterparts in the story? Again, a lot of interesting a lot of interesting directions this can go in with the Sonic series. Like I said, there's a lot of mythology there, a lot of characters, Tails, Knuckles, Shadow the Hedgehog, Doctor Robotnik. It there's so many ways this can go that I'm going to be watching this very 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 closely. And as always, if I hear more, I will share it with you guys. Now, it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without Star Wars. Um, it looks like Boba Fett's standalone film is going to happen. It looks like Lawrence Kasdan right now is working on the script. And Boba Fett looks to be getting his solo film to the big screen sooner rather than later. Boba Fett's a character that is beloved by many Star Wars fans. And the fact that a solo movie is in the works really comes as no shock. Now, 
while we're on the subject of Star Wars, it looks like Harrison Ford suffered an injury on set and had to be hospitalized. Uh, he injured his ankle while they were filming today, and um, he was taken to a local hospital and was receiving care. Of course, uh, shooting will continue as planned while he recuperates. Um, of course, people right away, oh, my God, the movie's going to bomb, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, injuries happen, and Harrison Ford is not exactly the youngest guy in the book, so an injury at this stage is not shocking in the least. What I will say is that Star Wars news for the next couple of months are going to be this guy got cast, that guy got cast, we got pictures of this, we got we saw this on set, this guy got hurt. It's not going to be anything groundbreaking, so please don't assume that every bit of news that comes out with regards to Star Wars is going to be groundbreaking in the least. So, the last bit of entertainment news to kind of bring everything forward. Um, Nikki Fink, who a lot of you know, is is uh, kind of a, a, a heavy hitter in Hollywood with regards to news. It's It varies. Some people love her, some people hate her, but she released a bit of news that was very interesting today on her new site, and that is DC's announcement of their full comic book slate, which they're going to announce at San Diego Comic-Con this July. Now, uh, take this all with a grain of salt, but as of right now, it looks like DC's plan is, according to Nikki Fink, again, take this as a rumor, you're going to be getting Batman versus Superman May 2016, Sh- Shazam will be hitting July 2016, uh, a Sandman film is hitting in during the holiday season of 2016, Justice League 2017, Wonder Woman 2017, a Flash and Green Lantern film during Christmas 2017, and a direct sequel to Man of Steel, Man of Steel 2, will be hitting screens 2018. Again, take this with a grain of salt, but she did drop this on her site. So if you want further confirmation, definitely give it a couple of weeks while San Diego Comic-Con news start trickling out. Uh, One thing that I'm not surprised about is this next bit of news, and that is a guy who pretty much saves every sequel he's involved in, and that's John Chu, who, of course, directed G.I. Joe Retaliation. It looks like he will be saving another sequel to a film, and that will be Now You See Me 2. Originally, the original film, Louis Leterrier, was going to return as director, but much like with G.I. Joe, things have changed. So John Chu now, he finished filming Gem. He will be jumping into directing Now You See Me 2. Of course, uh, Gem and the Holograms is his next project, and I believe that will be in theaters in 2016. All right, so there you have it, guys. That is the entertainment news for this week. We did go into some serious overtime, 45 minutes, but again, with E3, uh, the, the WWE roster purge and the retirement of Chael Sonnen, we knew that this week was going to be a heavy week. But let's take it away and wrap it up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 232 for Thursday, June 12, 2013. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, make sure to reach out mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Or if you don't want to rely on email, you can find us via social media on Twitter at MyTakeRadio, on Facebook via our fan page, facebook.com forward slash MyTakeRadio, or of course, add us to your circles on Google+. Plus. We, we do work in that community as well, and we'll be glad to address any questions or concerns you may have. Last but not least, if you want the best MyTakeRadio experience, make sure to pick up the official MyTakeRadio app. 
available on Android, iOS, and Windows Mobile. For Android, you will be heading to the Amazon Marketplace to pick it up there. For iOS, of course, you're going to go to iTunes, and for Windows Mobile, you're going to go to the Windows Marketplace. Last but not least, make sure to be on the lookout for our brand new My Take Radio Behind the Mic with comedian Hugh Murray. That will be released exclusively to MTR app owners first. Again, the app is $1.99, cheaper than a cup of coffee, and it gives you the best My Take Radio experience. All right, on behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, Jay Santi, Ben, Andrea, and Josh, and of course, the rest of the MTR team, including the rightest, how can I forget? I will catch you guys next week. Thank you guys for listening. As always, another MTR in the books. Peace. Our outro music this week, we are going to be going with, uh, we're going to go with uh, Street Fighter Alphas 2, the strongest. The artist is That Andy Guy, available at ocremix.org, the letter O, the letter C, remix.org. Rg.